imagine actually having a team of Galton, Miedema, Russo and Blackstonians together. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. I suppose 90 second minute, I've never scored a 90 second minute winner, I don't know what it feels like. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It is half past seven. This is OTBAM. It's Owen, Johnny and Nathan with you right away through until 10 o'clock this morning. We've got loads coming your way between now and then. We're going to be joined by Cahar O'Kane to look at some of the sharpshooters in the National Football League so far. Bit of a deep dive he's done on David Clifford as well. That's coming your way after eight o'clock. Uh, we're also going to have Stephen Kisby-Green in studio to deliver uh, a heap of searing hot takes because it is his Six Nations team of the tournament and uh, there are no English people spoiler alert in that team we'll be getting into that a little bit later on and Bellator fighter Sinead Kavanagh will also be with us in studio because she's back in the cage in Dublin this September so uh, she'll be chatting about that and she'll be chatting about uh, her career plans over the next little while as well Nathan Murphy good morning to you morning lads Johnny how are you good morning you have just devoured toast in the quickest time I've ever seen a human being eat. I haven't finished it yet. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's hidden under the table. Right. It's going to start sound to be munching toast would have been your uh, your kind of start of OTBAM. But yeah, it's well toasted bread for everyone at home uh, who obviously good bread. Yeah, it's good bread. Yeah. It's are you? Uh, you're not like Jim Nance, are you? Have you heard the story of Jim Nance? Do you know who Jim Nance is, Johnny? I think I'm about to. So Jim Nance, the uh, famed American football and golf commentator who commentates on the golf every year. Uh, Jim Nance goes around when he's having breakfast with his wife, his wife revealed this. He asks for toast, but he wants burnt toast. But the problem when you ask for burnt toast is, it's obviously a fear among waitresses and cooks of burning your toast too much. Because then you have to bring it back, get your new toast and burn it slightly again. So he has a picture of exactly the colour he wants his toast to get to, of exactly how burnt he wants his toast to be and when he's in a diner in America or when he's out for breakfast he just shows him he says burn my toast and this is how black I want my burnt toast to be so there could be no confusion <laughs> that's just weird it's yeah. a little bit bizarre yeah. uh, particularly considering the man is earning what 15 million quid a year yeah. uh, in his job but these are the things these, I suppose you're a perfectionist when you get to that level and if you've got that much money and you want your toast burnt you want a toast burnt right so why don't you just settle for second best? I do think the idea of breakfast is like the most important meal in the day and having to eat like when you get up is absolute nonsense. Like I think you should fast for a couple of hours and so But you you definitely strike me, Johnny, as one of these weirdos who gets up and, you know, could get to lunchtime and not eat at all. Yeah. Now I say this considering, you know, I am taking up twice the space on the screen that you are. But uh our, our old producer JP was of a similar vintage. In fact I met him last Wednesday at half six and he said, I still haven't eaten today. At half six? For half six. Which wasn't that unusual. No, I'm just not hungry. I didn't get around to it. Like, I wouldn't be like that now. So what time? You're, you, would well, you skip breakfast? Or do I, you just delay breakfast? I, I delay it, but uh, I, I could have had three cups of coffee by that time. So that's kind of, that's the <sighs> and problem. And an empty stomach. Be uh, wired. Nah. I, I think I'm kind of immune to coffee at this stage. is isn't a good thing either. Like, but uh, no, I don't think... I, I've I've I'm gotten to the stage now where I'm just not hungry for about two hours every day. Like whereas when I was a kid, it was like oh, I'd be ravenous in the morning. And um, but there is a theory that breakfast is totally overrated as well, which I think might have something some merit to it. 
Yeah. You should eat in general, like. Yeah, it's got yeah. half six is probably unhealthy. Like I'm not a scientist, but he's that probably not. He's probably not going to be best impressed that I've revealed this to the nation right now. <laughs> like, there might be a greater issue there that I've now exposed and people will be in touch with him about. It was it was a bit. In, it was interesting during lockdown though. You found your your habits like your in, in, and if you work from home a lot, your food habits can really go a bit awry because it's you're just like you've accessed food all the time and you start. I think a lot of people just probably put on weight because. They were just eating too much out of like tedium or whatever. Mm. You know, I think that's an issue for people working from home. That's one of the many issues. You know? Yeah, mm. that's why we've got three people in the studio this morning. We're all <laughs> just trying to break a terrible, terrible habit of sitting on uh, our ass at home eating food. Both of us were out cycling yesterday. You, yes, you thinly veiled. I was like, yes, actually, put up on Instagram as if you went in for a swim. It's one of these double-edged swords. Like this is a very good point, actually. Johnny pulled me up on this yesterday, Nathan. That uh, I put up a photograph on on Instagram of uh, of a sunny day near the sea, and when I put it up, I was like, people might think that I'm actually swimming in that sea. And you know what? <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't care less. If people think I'm swimming in the sea, I will absolutely take that credit. So it's thank you for thinking extreme, that. Extreme. The Like I haven't been in the water this year but it's this time of year is basically as cold as it gets I think yeah yeah March it's so cold uh, I, I was cycling past Sea Point just in there were a few hardy souls in alright but uh, yeah so what sort of kilometres are you putting in on uh, not very much to be honest just stretching the legs to be honest you know because like, yeah. there is uh, there is rumour of a OTB triathlon returning quite soon uh, have you sped up your cycling no <laughs> It's just, uh, again, just stretching the legs. Okay, because, uh, years um, later. I, you know, it's still um, seared into my brain standing around in <laughs> Dunmore East when we were doing our triathlon. Well, I say a triathlon. We were doing a team triathlon, which meant one person ran, one person did the cycle, and one person did That's the swim. Right. And I was last on uh, our team, which was made up of myself, Adrian Barry, and Owen Sheehan. No, we actually had Joe. We had we Joe. Actually, actually okay, had actually, sorry, to make it even yeah. worse, we yeah. had Joe, Joe doing the swim, Owen doing the cycle, mm. and I was doing the run. So we sort of worked out that if Owen gave me a three-minute lead, I was racing against Phil Egan, which is not where you want to be, but if Owen gave me a three-minute lead, that I would probably be okay to get there ahead of Phil, and Joe was slightly ahead of Adrian, so I presumed being 20 years younger I'd imagine than Jer that Owen would at least give me a 3 minute lead but as Jer swanned in 40 minutes later after the cycle and I was stood there for another 10 minutes wondering <laughs> had Owen crashed should we send out the search and rescue party no it turned out that Owen is just the slowest cycler in the world yeah cycler cycler cycler, word. cycler. Yeah. Yeah. cycler I really is am. a good word I'm really in no hurry going anywhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 now, in hindsight, that doesn't surprise just, me. I, I got to the finish and I was like, wow, everybody's really competitive here. As people were like speeding past me, yeah. there was one lad who actually slowed down for a chat and it looked like he was cycling quite slowly and then he just sped on away from me and I was like, oh, that's the pace I'm going at. But uh, no, I don't think I've got much uh, faster, to yeah. be honest with you, Nathan. But uh, as I say, good to stretch the legs. The guy um, who introduced me to cycling, Ronan, it's about two years ago now, the start of lockdown. And uh, he's been training flat out like since we we cycled in Mallorca in October and then I was out for four months, so I went out cycling with him yesterday and it was a it was a fairly uh, fairly tough experience just being completely left behind. So have how, to, how have long to did you do? How, how long? Which how how, how much of a distance did you cycle yesterday? Fifty k. 
50k yeah, yeah. Okay. like yeah so he, just up mountains he was just leaving me absolutely for dead and it's a lonely uh, it's a lonely cycle when you're just like slower than everyone else yeah well I just go cycling on my own I don't even have any friends <laughs> cycling so that's even more sometimes lonely sometimes people come up and say hello to you though yeah. <laughs> well yes in, in, a, in a race where I'm being left for dead by everybody <laughs> that, that was a nice very not lonely experience whatsoever being in an actual triathlon that was great but through yeah. 8 minutes of the show there he certainly did it is uh, 7.38 <laughs> as uh, Johnny has just mentioned there this is OTBAM it's brought to you live each morning morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be chatting football momentarily, don't worry. As you can see on screen, this is the coming up Irish football coming your way at 7.40. Uh, Cahar O'Kane coming your way at 10 past 8. Six Nations uh, team of the tournament at half past 8. John Duggan's golf tips, virtual insanity are back from quarter to nine. The sports pages before nine o'clock as well. And then Sinead Kavanagh from 10 past nine. If you missed Ars blog on last night's show, you can catch that back at half past nine this morning on OTBAM. Just going to give you a chance to win our competition before we get stuck into the football get ready to cheer Ireland on in the TikTok Women's Six Nations to launch this year's campaign we're giving away two tickets to see Ireland take on Wales on Saturday the 26th of March at quarter to five in the RDS the lucky winners will also be entered into a draw to be able a chance to win an overnight stay in the stunning Intercontinental Hotel on the night of the game to enter this competition tell us what you think the score will be this weekend between Ireland and Wales wherever you're watching this morning's OTBAM you can leave your answer in the comments on Twitter Facebook or on YouTube International Women's Rugby is at the RDS and there's nothing like it. Be part of the action. Get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. Right, we wanted to get stuck into a couple of football talking points, of course, you know, in an alternate universe, Ireland will be playing, what, against Turkey tomorrow night or against some don't, team anyway. Don't do it to yourself, yeah, don't do it don't, to yourself. Don't think about it. So, the world number one team are coming to town, we couldn't be more excited. Exactly, the world number one team with all their caps are in Dublin this weekend. Uh, like, I well, mean, they're I, not actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. They've left all their caps at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I, like I on, an, on a, one, a scale of one to ten. How excited are you for the return of Republic of Ireland football again? Because it feels well, like there's been a buzz even around friendlies up until this point for the last couple of years. There is, but I, I don't know if uh, you go through a similar sensation when it comes to Irish football, where the games tend to creep up on you because it's this relentlessness of the Premier League. And even when it comes to qualifiers, I wouldn't say I don't get massively excited, but until the day of the game, you're listening to the press conferences. There's not a huge amount interesting in them quite often. But it's the fallout. Like, there's every possibility next Monday, even though it's a friendly against Belgium. Like, Belgium will turn up and will expect to win this game. That we're wondering how we can't beat a second string Belgium team. Looking at the uh, Irish football of the last 20 years, why we haven't been producing players like Belgium. How can we follow the Belgium model and we'll do this massive deep dive over the next week and then we'll sort of return to normality again at the Premier League. And that's the cycle of international football. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's just such a shame that. Like we're a year away from the start of the European Championship qualifiers. I here I am the number one advocate of the Nations League, uh, and that the games are important. But we don't know what is going to come in June. Whether we'll you know have any games, whether we'll have four games in the space of ten days or two weeks, uh, it's totally up in the air right now. So these games, they're good to keep momentum. There's obviously huge interest. Like they're talking about forty-eight thousand tickets sold for a friendly. Like that is absolutely insane. There's barely any other country in world football who's selling 48,000 tickets for a friendly when you haven't qualified for a major tournament and you're not in the build-up to something. So there clearly is a buzz. There's, there's no doubt that there's something going on uh, around Irish football that people are buying into this and exciting to see this team and even the fact that Belgium aren't bringing De Bruyne and Lukaku and Hazard you know, they still want to go and they want to get behind this Irish side. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's getting back out but I think that'll create something. Like You can't not feel like it's an important game on Saturday if there's 
a sellout crowd. Well, they should advertise it around Hazard and just not reveal the first name of the Hazard that's going to be in town and just say, <laughs> come watch Hazard. <laughs> well, it reminds me of when I, when I uh, was asked to voice the advertising campaign for the Carling Nations Cup. And basically, I had to start with the name of a player. So it was Bill Keane. I'm trying to think who else played. Evans. And it turned out none of these players were <laughs> being selected when it came down to it for the uh, Carling Nations Cup. Uh, what, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to try and get into uh, the head of Stephen Kenny, and uh, no better man to do that than Nathan Murphy, who sits through every press conference. And uh, love that man. So you're, you're going to give us uh, a full preview of what his first choice eleven is going to be. So, so how are we picking this team this morning? So I think this will be the team that starts against Belgium on Saturday and I think it'll be very close to the team that starts whatever the First Nations League game is uh, come June. And I think I would expect that what he'll do this week is go out all guns blazing against Belgium because they are the world number one. You beat them. like There's huge world ranking points. And then Lithuania is the match where he'll do a little bit of experimenting. Uh, so I think Saturday, Gavin Bazuna will be in goal. I think Gavin Bazuna will stay in goal until something changes dramatically at club level, and that could happen quite quickly. 20 years' time, he'll be still starting for I don't go along with that this is a done deal. Like Mark Travers was up in front of the media, and were every possibility come March, this time next year, that he has a full season of Premier League behind him. And where are Cuevin Keller? Where are Gavin Bazunu? Like, it's totally out of our hands. It's totally out of Stephen Kenny's hands. But until something happens and Bazunu isn't playing first-team football and one of the others is at a high level all the time, I think Bazunu will stay in goal and deservedly so. Like, he's, mm. you know, he's been absolutely outstanding and is so integral to the way Ireland want to play. Um, so I think that's set in stone. Uh, Defence is interesting. At the moment, with Omobamadele out and Darrow O'Shea just returning, I'd expect he'll stick with that back three of Seamus Coleman, Shane Duffy and John Egan. We do have options there with Omobamadele and Darrow O'Shea uh, heading towards the summer and maybe one of them, if they can get a long run of games in the first team, which looks unlikely for Omobamadele, they can force their way in, which would mean a little bit of a reshuffle where you'd put Coleman at right wing back and you might put uh, Doherty to left wing back. But for this weekend, and maybe he settled on it after the last two internationals that actually Matt Doherty's at his best. Like Matt Doherty's started more games under Stephen Kenny than anybody else. He's you know, playing at the highest level of any outfield player. He looks like he's in absolutely smashing form. And I think he's actually done quite well at times under Stephen Kenny. I know he gets he's done really well stick. under Stephen Kenny. Yeah, he gets, he, much like himself and Jeff Hendrick are two players, I think because of their demeanour. Like, mm. Matt Doherty never looks like he gives a damn about anything. Uh, but anyone you talk to who knows Matt Doherty says he, like, he does. He absolutely does. But, you know, we like our Irish players to be full of blood and guts and to show it. You know, tears during the anthem is what we look for. And I don't think that's ever going to be Matt Doherty. But he has. His best performances have been over the last 18 months, um, either on the right-hand side or the left-hand side. So I, I don't think there's a huge debate at the moment about that back three with the other players. But if you look at a depth chart, like if you were looking at a depth chart, yeah. Darrow Shea, Andrew Omabamadele and Nathan Collins mm. as your next three and in three years' time being your three centre-halves, like that's pretty exciting. We're in a great nick at centre-back. Um, Darty's a funny one. He's a, he's a type of player, if you go to see, if you go to the games and... Um, one of the games I was fairly close to touchline I was kind of at his touchline you really see how comfortable he is like it's just his body language he's really really 
you know, everything comes so easy to him. Like, he really struck me um, how, how he just made it look easy. And I'm delighted that he's got a run of games. I don't I don't see Coleman playing wing-back again at all, to be honest. Just about to ask, I was like, it does feel that there are certain elements of that back three where the stock isn't as high as it was before mm. Christmas. He's not. James Col- oh. There go the lights. James Coleman. Oh. Uh, he doesn't have the... Well, when you start talking about Seamus Coleman in yeah. a potentially <laughs> negative way, he will strike down upon you. He doesn't have the pace for right wing-back anymore. Like, so it's... I think I look quite good in the dark. It yeah. Me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'd. Uh, what, what about left wing back then? What about left wing back? Well, you picked McLean. I, I, so, so this weekend, McLean will start. Enda Stevens is injured. Uh, he did throw Enda Stevens straight back in against Portugal uh, last time out, which would suggest that he still feels that Stevens is the best option there. Um, but McLean, I know it's at League One, so it's hard to say he's in the form of his career because you know he did it for a consistent period at, at Premier League level. Uh, but you know he's having he's having a mighty good time of a mm. Wigan at the moment. Looks like he's enjoying his football. Uh, Kenny again, I think, likes the energy. You know he, he he maybe doesn't offer quite as much an attack as he once did, but I think can provide um, the cover and like his fitness. Like, his fitness rate team is insane. Uh, the level that he's still at at thirty one. So I don't I don't see Ryan Manning really forcing his way in there right now. Maybe he gets an opportunity in the friendly against Lithuania. Uh, but it's probably Stevens, maybe Doherty, if he decided to go with Coleman again at right wing back, uh, and McLean are the three at the moment. With McLean this weekend, with Stevens out injured, getting the opportunity. Joel Bagan is interesting going forward. Mm. Like Manning, Manning's not even playing left wing back for his club. That's the problem as well. Like so, um, I and again, I'm not sure he's he really has the pace to make that position his own. Unfortunately, and the chances Manning's had with the Ireland team, I know they've been few and far between. Mm. Really hasn't worked out for him. Mm. He hasn't grabbed it with both hands. So. You know, I think McLean, uh, again, a player who can divide opinion, uh, but you know, has put the head down. I think has been a lot more solid uh, uh, over the last couple of years, and because he's doing so well at club level, uh, I think he'll be in. Uh, can we talk about that midfield then, Hendrick and Cullen? Uh, like, I mean, we can see them up on screen there. That that's the midfield that you think uh, Stephen Kenny's going to go with. It's obviously been something that's worked quite well at times over the last little while in terms of their form over the last little while outside of the Ireland camp. How have they been going? Uh, well, Josh Cullen's playing on a regular basis. Obviously, we had him on the show uh, just before Christmas, um, playing over in Belgium and, and doing well uh, under Vincent Company. Uh, like Jeff Hendrick isn't getting much of an opportunity, so maybe. We'll get on to Jamie McGram, sure, and not playing first-team football. Maybe the fact that Jeff Hendrick is sat on the bench at St. James's Park the majority of the time is going to count against him. The problem Stephen Kenny has is what other options are there. Maybe he goes with Conor Howerhan uh, in the middle of midfield. I don't think Jason Malumby is ready to play international football in the middle of midfield. Like Howerhan is definitely next in line right now and is you know in and around that first team at Sheffield United. Uh, but Hendrick, uh, Hendrick has been one of Kenny's best players. He always, always picks him. Um, again, somebody who gets hammered consistently, and I don't see it a lot of the time as to what the criticism is. Like, ah, well, he's definitely been better under Kenny. He's been, oh, sorry, he's yeah. been better under Kenny, and he, after Euro 2016. But even under Kenny, he's been getting a lot of stick. Mm. But that system seems to suit him. Like maybe the system in itself is a talking point. Uh, now that Anthony Barry is gone, it does seem Anthony Barry was a very influential voice in that move to a three-four-three. Uh, I'm not sure John Eustace. I'm not sure John Eustace will have the same impact. Uh, Stephen Kenny was <laughs> in his press conference yesterday, 
you know, was asked about the appointment. He was also asked, I don't know if you saw the quotes of, uh, he had basically hammered English coaches a couple of years ago, uh, at first denied that he had said this, then sort of tried to move on quite swiftly. But his his comments about changing to three at the back after the England game, I thought were interesting in that, um, when he, when he had that recent press conference where it was more so, um, well, this wasn't really an Anthony Barry thing. This was something that uh, I decided after we were so poor against Mm. England. I, I think there's, there might be a small bit of historic revision isn't there it's like well we're moving on from Anthony Barry here yeah um, there is and no manager in the world is going to sit there and say yeah my assistant coach is the genius here we, we are going to need to uh, get the take a sorted. quick break here. Like, I mean, we could just put on our phones and, uh, like, I guess, actually, see how that actually works. Like but that gig. That's just a little bit haunting, yeah. isn't it? Uh, Stephen Kisby Green in our team says this brings a whole new meaning to Nathan's League of Ireland after dark, and he's not wrong. <laughs> and you're Richard- late night, I'll uh, let you know. It, it'd be a bit more like that if myself and Johnny had a glass of wine in the corner, I think. <laughs> yeah. At, at half seven in the morning. And we Rich- are thinking of going on Tuesday. We're going well, to go. Oh, we're back. Look at this. We do not need to take a break. Richard Redball has been in touch to say, Jerry Gilroy coming into the office dresses The Undertaker again uh, which is uh, possibly <laughs> true uh, it looks like we're good it looks like we're, we're good back. we can, I think we are we can almost keep it right uh, now we can keep, yeah. yeah we are going to be League of Ireland late night is going to have a special international flavour next Tuesday night we're going to be on after the Lithuania game so what are you going to call that then Republic of Ireland late night Stephen Kenny late night Stephen yeah. Kenny late night <laughs> um, bring us on to the front three then Nathan yeah I think this is uh, another area much like the defence where we we have options, maybe not quite at the level. I think we have options uh, defensively. So the three I think he will go with this time on Sunday or on Saturday are Jason Knight, Chidozi Ogbene behind Callum Robinson, uh, no Adamida. The Jamie McGrath story it sort of got passed over when the squad was announced. Like, the fact that Jamie McGrath is not in the squad is pretty shocking. Mm. Jamie McGrath started both games against Portugal, started the last match against Serbia. He looked like a player who was, if he wasn't in that first choice 11, he was player number 12 and was always going to be making some sort of an impact. So I assumed when I saw the squad and he wasn't there that there'd be some sort of a niggly injury and understanding he hadn't been playing any football at all at Wigan, but you felt that Stephen Kenny, while club football was important, he felt he had a player in Jamie McGrath who could really do a job for him and was very important to the system he wanted to play. But, you know, Kenny has said this week that it's basically, he hasn't played any football. It's remarkable that he has gone from a position where he was so highly rated up at St. Mirren to signing for Wigan and can't even make the first team squad. Any idea what's happened there? Well, well, they're flying, seems to be the main thing. So Wigan are playing well. They're not changing their team um, whether there's something else going on that he can't even make the first team squad, I'm not quite sure about. But Kenny's viewpoint on it is that you've got to assume he's not going to make the first team squad between now and the end of the season. So can I go into the Nations League in June with a player who basically hasn't played in six months and he feels with Jamie McGrath he can't? Now, maybe there's a message been sent out to other players of choose your moves if you're going to go and take it. Uh, that a would role be very harsh. Where you're not going to play. But we had Jim Goodwin on not long before he left St Mirren and not long before Jamie McGrath left St Mirren and he really wasn't happy with how it was all being dealt with and felt Mm. that Jamie McGrath was getting bad advice that he should stay at the club for the next six months take his move during the summer uh, but that he's playing the best football of his career there was obviously a lot of speculation that he would have gone to Aberdeen at the time that seemed to be denied by the club but it does seem that Jim Goodwin was right. Like, Wigan was not the destination. Whatever guarantees he got, whatever was put on the table, to end up in a position at 25 where you're not even making the squad. And at six months where it felt like he was about to catapult to this whole other level, 
to not play any football uh, is incredibly frustrating. And that does change the dynamic. It opens up a spot. Then you've Conor Ronan, who is at St. Mirren, mm. flying it like. Who I'd expect will get some, some game time, certainly on Tuesday night against Lithuania. The Adam Eden up in there means I think Robinson will lead the line. There is a possibility he puts Will Keane in there to lead the line and again plays Robinson's slightly deeper role. But Jason Knight is the one who will come in, I'd expect, and replace Jim McGrath. And Jim McGrath may never get that place back now. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It might be like the it might be the death knell for potential for his international career. Well, the last the last game was the match over in Luxembourg where Jason Knight came off the bench and you know turned the game. Uh, the three goals all as a result of his impact. So this is his opportunity now. He's back. He's fit. He's obviously had his injury problems before the last international break. So. You would hope that Jim McGrath, or Jason Knight takes this opportunity and uh, comes in and does make it his own. And actually, we don't need to have this debate. Uh, ben is clearly a player that Stephen Kenny likes and the supporters love and brings in energy and sort of gets you off your seat. So I think he'll keep his place as well. And Robinson, obviously, is almost one of the first choice players, whether that's as the number nine or slightly deeper. Uh, but I think that's a... Yeah, I think that's a, a good, strong team. I think we need to be realistic in, in terms of still the way show. we're talking about them, uh, considering the level that a lot of these players are at. But it does seem as though there's a sort of stability in the system and almost in the first-choice 11. We probably probably take it for granted how strong the standard is at the top of League One as well, like and how difficult it is for some players. Like St. Mirren to Wigan is not necessarily a straightforward path. Like, you look at... Um, Georgie Kelly as well going to Rotherham not happening for him at all like at the moment so it's um, it's you know it's it's it, it can be a very good level it's so but it's so it seems so random to me at the same time like it did feel that uh, uh, before Christmas when Ogbeni was flying for Ireland it was like well this guy's clearly good enough for championship for like the top half of the championship and if you had said to me Jamie McGrath is not going to be able to get into a squad at the same level that Ogbeni is currently playing mm. like how is that even possible like it, it is just so strange how, how this has happened to McGrath and maybe it is just that we're underrating how good either Ogbeni is or how high the standard is at the top of League 1 but is it is it two green tinted glasses to suggest that Jamie McGrath and what we've seen of him at St Mirren and out of Ireland should be getting into a, a League One squad? I, okay. I don't know what style like Wigan play necessarily and how that would suit Jamie McGrath. Whereas like Benny, you know, it's fairly straightforward the way he plays. And like St Mirren, the, the SPL, if you take out Celtic and Rangers, like the standard yeah. is completely different, even to probably the top of League One, like um, resources and wages and everything else. So like. Um, I don't know, it's a different... Like, Jim, Jim, I have to say, I was very surprised at how well Jamie McGrath did because I, I didn't really see it in the League of Ireland that he was as good as he looked for Ireland and he's had some very good forms as far as... Whereas with the likes of Conor Ronan, you could see with the 21s, this lad's really, really talented. Mm. Um, but I think what Nathan's touching on there in terms of you have to make the right move as well and it just sounds like he did not... And, you know, you look at... Um, Obafemi and you know the, the chat was that like well his agent has relayed that he doesn't see himself as a 21 player and you're, whoever's advising you it is important as well you know uh, can I just ask then uh, just to finish up on that team sheet Jason Knight obviously we just put it up on screen there the graphic is on the, the left of a front three he obviously drops deep in front of the midfield but he can also play out on, on the left of a front three can he or do you think obviously uh, I think it'll be more a 3-4-2-1 one uh, with, as you say, Ogbené Knight dropping. Knight probably the one who'll drop deeper at times. Ogbené the one who'll push up and support uh, Robinson at times. But the great thing about watching Ireland in the last couple of games was the rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you look at a couple of the goals they scored, but also when I was at a like a uh, beginner's coaching course last week and they were showing clips you of... You go to a coaching course? 
Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's something I was. I've often thought about well, doing. Not, not for this lazy. job, for my actual coaching career. Johnny. Oh, okay. You know so the underrates. For, the underrates deserve the best in this country, Johnny. It's not for a better like knowledge of the game per se. It's more that you're you've coached ambitions yourself. Ex- well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Listen, well, you're Stephen bred Kenny for the job. Is, Stephen Kenny has given us all an ambition of we can achieve something in Irish football now. Uh, but they were showing uh, lots of different clips within it of. Listen, it's way above uh, that level, but of. Uh, good attacking Irish play and transitions and things like that and like, some of the football and some of the movement at times was just exceptional and I think that's like that's what's most exciting that these players seem to understand the system and uh, yeah, as, as I said I do think Ogben and Knight will play um, slightly deeper than whoever the number nine is whether that's um, Robinson or you know maybe Will Keane comes in who at times actually is playing a bit deeper in Wigan himself uh, yeah I think it's Belgium. It's, it'll be interesting to see. I think you're touching a good you go, a good point though, because like Belgium are already coming as a team that are obviously, as you alluded to, they're missing their main players. So it, it's a bit of a, a perfect storm for this to go badly for Ireland, because Ireland have some players that you're like, well, not, like the likes of Hendrick, for example. Not, not no idea what form he's in. Seamus Coleman has had some really poor games for Everton. Um, even even McLean, like he's he's playing at Wigan, like so. And then you're looking at you're looking at our team, and you're like Belgium could could have a very good night here, and we don't want that at all, um, because it, it would just completely interrupt the momentum that we've built up. So it, it's it's going to be a really interesting game, I think. Like, yeah, I I, yeah. I I I don't see how it can be a bad thing from an Irish point of view that De Bruyne and Lukaku and those players aren't there in that. You know, you might think, oh, well, maybe they're turning up here and they're going through the motions. They're thinking about Premier League and Champions League. But, you know, you think back to 2016, mm. and, you know, that was a stronger Irish squad on paper and how they ripped Ireland to pieces. Mm. The flip of that is that, you know, Belgium have a genuine chance of winning the World Cup in mm. December. And the players who are coming here, a lot of them are trying to force the way either into the team or even into the 23. And this is these couple of matches that Belgium have are their one opportunity to say to Roberto Martinez, you got to pick me. Totally, yeah. So they're not going to be going... It, it'll be the opposite. These Belgian players, you can't imagine, are going to be going through the motions at all. Like Benteke, Bachawi, Origi, all in that squad. And there's a good chance all three of them don't make the final 23. So mm. that would be the worry. And if you're right, that the way it'll be framed is Ireland have been beaten by basically a second-string Belgian side. Yeah. When, like, I mean, they're going up against... Yuri Tielemans in midfield. Yeah, like, and basically who would be the best player players. in the squad. Like I it. think the, the 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 crowd being back though is such a boost for us. Like there will be a really good atmosphere there. As Nathan says, uh, the games I've been at as well, and basically games that were effectively dead rubbers. Um, so this is we we spoke about it in contrast to the rugby yesterday. But there's a smashing atmosphere at Ireland games at the moment. Yeah, there really is. And even when it was pre-COVID, as you mentioned there, uh, for a couple of those home games that were like capacity within the restrictions, mm. there was a real buzz in the stadium. Uh, there's one other thing we're going to touch on here, Nathan and it's uh, five players with the most to gain in the coming months with Ireland you've, you've picked your top five here yeah um, we touched on some of these already but I think Nathan Collins um, with Omabamadele out injured I would expect that Collins will certainly start the uh, second game against Lithuania and he's a player who's stuck in that Sean Dyche rut where Tarkowski and me always start always start but Tarkowski is going to leave during the summer Hopefully they manage to stay in the Premier League, and if they do, he's going to be first choice. And the great thing then is, when you're first choice under Sean Dyche, you'll play every single week. So you know Collins, every time he's played, I know he got sent off recently, but by and large, he has looked comfortable at that level. He's a big, big man for a young guy. Uh, has a real presence about him. Again, I, I think he can force his way in there because if Shane Duffy is another year, you know, in a year's time, 
where does he go does he mm. get football maybe there's an opportunity in the heart of that Irish defence for one of those three uh, Will Keane could well start on Saturday he's banging in the goals for Wigan like, and a striker uh, isn't something we really have somebody who's in form you know he's heading for 30 but we've had you know, if you look at the Dave McGoldrick example of someone coming in later in their career uh, making an impact so I think again with McGrath being out Adam Eda being out probably still maybe a step ahead of a, a Troy Parrott unless Kenny's thinking you know I'm going to just give Parrott more game time but for the here and now I think Will Keane might get a, couple, a good few opportunities over the next year or so uh, Alan Brown's an interesting one mm. like, Alan Brown started the first two games of the World Cup qualifying campaign then had several COVID issues and had several injury issues and didn't really feature but is always in the squad whenever he's fit uh, could fit in to one of those roles just behind uh, the striker could maybe play in the midfield too as well. Like he's basically at the prime of his career. I think he turns is it twenty six in the next uh, next few weeks. Playing at a good level at Preston, you know, playing Championship week in week out. I was thinking when I was thinking about Alan Brown because I was comparing him to Jack Byrne recently. Like there's no League of Ireland players in this squad, and nobody's even mentioned it yet. For Decades we've hammered managers, yet somehow Stephen Kenny, the one man we thought would be uh, all over it, uh, hasn't not, selected any of them. It's not really true. Like most of the League of Ireland bashing was just, it was very League of Ireland uh, biased, like, because it's rare that we've said, oh, he should definitely be in the squad. We're talking about Evans, like. Well, we, exactly. And I, I think actually most of those better League of Ireland players of the last couple of years have maybe gone abroad, and that's the way they'll have to go. And look, Jack mm. Byrne's obviously not fully fit at the moment, so wasn't really in contention. But when we're talking about Jack Byrne getting in, like, Alan Brown is playing championship football every week and has done for five, six years at this stage. Uh, you know, the, the night over in Slovakia when he came on and played the last hour, he was brilliant. So Brown is someone I wouldn't be surprised if he can actually stay fit, is another one who over the next couple of years becomes an integral part of the starting eleven. Uh, Darrow Shea was clearly a player that Kenny loved, uh, picked up that horrible injury, is just working his way back to fitness. Again, probably not quite ready to start on Saturday, but seemed probably to be the top of those three of O'Shea, Omobamadele and Collins. And I'd expect he'll get back there again and be in a position that like, maybe he takes Seamus Coleman's place or certainly somebody's mm-hmm. place. Um, over the next while and then Jason Knight I think is clearly the one with the most to gain over the next while with McGrath's absence with the impact he made in that last half an hour in Ireland's last game Uh, I I really hope that he does grab it and that we can sort of settle on him as one of that first choice 11 and then see what happens with the summer um, as to where he ends up with Derby because I think you've got to assume uh, he's going to go I know Wayne Rooney was uh, talking about Festia Bezele and not been too happy or too impressed that Ebizella decided to go to Italy, that he should have stayed in English football. He's already moved from Ireland to England, now he's moving from England to Italy. Mm. So it's going to confuse the lad. He's definitely a lad that's going to be on that, he's going to be on your shortlist radar of players that are going to be on the up, like he's, uh, for Ireland, he's he's just waiting to take off of them, I think. Yeah, I, listen, maybe Wayne Rooney's a bit peeved that this has been announced mid-season or something, but... Mm-hmm. I, and maybe he's right. Maybe we get too excited about Udinese, where if he signed for Sheffield United, uh, we'd be going, well, yeah, we've, got, we've already got players at Sheffield United. Okay, can uh, we just go, go through these comments now? Because I think this is, this is fascinating. Like, and I think it's a good insight into maybe Wayne Rooney and English football as a whole. So uh, on Festi, he said, I said a few months ago, he can be a superstar. 
he can be what he wants. He really needs to keep his focus, his concentration, and keep learning to develop. He mentions his pace and his powers, his attributes. If you're asking me, do I think it is the right move for him, then no, I don't. I think he should stay in England, whether it is a move where he goes there to go back to England. Obviously, we know Udinese are a sister club to Watford. We we don't know. I think he should have stayed in England, kept learning to play the game here. Then he really has a chance. And it's always difficult for a young player to go abroad. Like well, I mean, the young player has already gone abroad to England yes, at this point. Like, yeah, so. evoking memories of Liam Brady here. It does. It does. That does annoy me. Like you know, where England is. Like England was a massive problem for Irish players going to a foreign country and couldn't settle at all. And like, it's not the same as like uh, getting a two-hour train ride here. You know. And um, now the standards of English. The st- sorry, the standards of Italian football are up for debate a bit. In fairness, it's not like oh my god, Udinese. Like mm. Italian football is nowhere near what it was. But it's not. The, I'd like the, the, the thing that would excite me about this move, for example, is not so much the standard; it's to do with the style of play. Mm. And you, I know we keep using Josh Cullen as the, the the sort of single reason why Irish players should be going further afield in England, and it's not enough of a sample size whatsoever. But still, Josh Cullen went to Belgium and has uh, made a pretty good career for himself playing a brand of football that is conducive to how Stephen Kenny wants to play football. So I don't know. I think that this is when I saw Udinese. It wasn't so much. Oh, this is a team that I, I that we were in the, the Champions League about fifteen years ago, and this is fantastic. It's more to the fact that it's like interesting. There's going to be people bringing a different style of football into the Ireland camp, totally, as opposed to the very English slash Irish uh, or slash Scottish style that that predominantly exists within this playing group. It's becoming a team as well, where this is this is becoming fairly normal. I don't know if you've seen much from Nathan, like as Derby, he's. Yeah, the, the, the bits I've seen, he's looked really impressive. He's totally explosive, like, and mm-hmm. he's he's really, and apparently he's you know great attitude. Uh, you know, in terms of him versus Ogbeni, I'd imagine if you took an uh, impartial manager, he would say, well, Obaselli's doing it at Derby here. He's playing better than Ogbeni, I'd say, in some respects. But he obviously just has a little bit to go. But I think this is just the start of it with Irish players, mm. and it's. It's exciting, and we may not see the full benefits of it for another five or ten years, but we do need to move on from our obsession with English football. And the more young kids that go, the more to be normalised, and other young kids will think, actually, you know, well, Italy isn't as far away as it was in the 80s. You can get a flight home in, mm. you can get a flight home now in two hours from Italy. Uh, you know, these are young, smart, educated kids who are probably far better positioned to learn the language, to settle in, and we want them playing European football. We want them playing Europa League football. Like It is so noticeable. I've touched on this before, commentating on the Europa League and every country around Europe being represented with the exception of Irish players. And you go through, whether it's Slovenia or Estonia or Lithuania, any of those countries that we would see ourselves probably being a step above, their players feed into, whether it's the German League or the French League, and it's not always, it doesn't need to be Paris Saint-Germain or Bayern Munich, but four, five, six teams from those countries end up playing in Europe. And they end up then getting that exposure to a different type of football in the Europa League and the Champions League. And our young players haven't had that for you know 20 years at this stage. So anything that brings more of those young guys to Italy... And Udinese is a good calibre. Like, it won't be a straightforward thing for them to even break into that team. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got a lot of internationals uh, there at the moment. You know, it, They have that link with Watford, so maybe he goes there for a year and he comes back and he plays at Watford, who by then will probably be back in the Premier League, uh, the way things go at Watford. Mm. So the more young players that go to Italy, we'll probably move past the stage where we're unbelievably excited about somebody going to Inter Milan or AC Milan because, again, it's the same as them going to... You know, almost Liverpool or Tottenham or somewhere. There's no guarantee. It's like a Troy Parrott going to Spurs. There's no guarantee they're going to make it there. But at least. Who goes further, him or a Banqua? <sighs> Oof. 
Yeah, Bank was a centre back, which might make it easier in some respects. Yeah, the Parrots already have a full season, I guess, of men's football under his belt now. It doesn't feel as though Parrots going to make it at Tottenham. Um, I meant like Ebosele or a banquet, sorry. I think Ebosele mm. at this stage, you know, again, he has that full year of first team football, but like, isn't it great that we're talking about Two several of these players and Zeffi and Cahill Heffernan going over, uh, Josh Cullen, like, you'd love some of those Irish players actually in their mid-twenties to think, do I want to sit in the bench in the Premier League of the Championship or will I go off and play in Belgium and play Europa League football as a part of that? Like, that's, that'd be a great position to get to. We'll probably we'll never get to that but there's a lot of money involved the flip side of the comments as well from Wayne Rooney and I know that he's been such a he's, he's kind of entrenched himself as a legend of Derby County this season but these guys are trying to carve out a career and looking at a club who have got fewer points than everybody else in the division more games played than the teams that are that they're battling for relegation Derby County are going down and when they go down they're, in a, they're a club that's in a lot of trouble if you're festy and you're looking around granted you've got a fantastic manager who looks like he's doing a brilliant job I mean, you want to jump ship, like, and uh, if you want to improve your career and you and you want to keep playing at that level, so I, I, I absolutely can. I, I'm, I'm not. While I, I fully respect Wayne Rooney, I think he's done a brilliant job as a manager so far. Um, I don't know about these these comments. Uh, Maybe Wayne Rooney's right. He sees him in training every day. Maybe he looks at his style and thinks he is perfectly suited to a top championship team or a mid-ranking Premier League side. In maybe he, to maybe he looks well. at his personality and says, you know, what, I think this kid might struggle over in Italy when he's away from his mates. <laughs> But you know he's got yeah, I, I, England. He's been just he's been just fine. That doesn't seem to be the case either. But um, I don't know. It's it's like we're talking about this the normalisation of kids going to like Italy now and stuff. How great is that? Yeah, no, you know, it's true. It's true. Um, I think the different sort of DNA of the Irish players coming up is attracting. Um, you know clubs as well, like uh, you know the, the your glory as well from Pats and the Kevin Zeffi. I think I think his family may even have moved over to Italy. Like so, it's kind of it's slightly different, and it's it's probably not as big of a deal as like I think for a lot of Irish players, this idea of going to a non English speaking country was just like not even in their head. But I think this is normalising it a lot, and just hopefully now some of these moves work out, and we we'll say everyone. Every Saturday we'll be talking about James Bank or, or Ebicelli, how well they're doing. We'll be back watching Italian football again. Yeah, for sure. Very quickly, Nathan, before we finish up, you were at the Troy Parrot press conference the other day. Any nuggets to bring us? A newfound maturity from Troy Parrot right. was the message that he uh, clearly was trying to get out there. Um, said he had a little bit of an awakening uh, over the last season, uh, maybe even at a time when he had a dip in form at MK Dons, uh, where he was starting to struggle to make the team there, that he realised, you only get one shot at this. As Eminem said, you only get one shot, and Troy has realised that. So said that you kind of get several shots, though, don't you? I mean, well, that's the great thing about football. You know, you, yeah. think, you think you're gone, but then somebody else will pick you up. You, you can start at the bottom, work yourself back up. But uh, yeah. listen, he spoke. He spoke. Uh, you know, he's still a very young guy. He's um, you know only twenty. We sort of expect a huge amount from Troy Parrott, and I guess he's had to learn a lot. Like down in League One, uh, it's a tough old gig, week in, week out, twice a week. You got to perform. So yeah, he, he certainly spoke like a young man who realised that. You know, two and a half years ago, everyone thought he's on the verge of breaking into the Tottenham team. He's the next Harry Kane, and I'm sure he bought into that a little bit as well. That it's going to be a longer road, and yeah, said that he's you know uh, acting differently on the pitch, acting differently off the pitch, making sure he's primed whenever he's on the pitch, that he's in the best possible shape, and all that. So yeah, said all the right things. You just hope now he can kick on. He'll be going back to Spurs during the summer for preseason. Uh, you expect another loan move uh, unless Antonio Conte sees something he likes, and maybe. 
puts him up as uh, one of the backups for Harry Kane or whoever the striker is there. But, you know, we saw what Tottenham did in January, uh, the amount of money they spent there, and Conte wasn't happy with that. Mm. So you can expect they're going to spend a hell of a lot of money during the summer, and you know, it's really hard to see Troy Parrott breaking in. The, the weird thing briefly is like Obafemi and per, perhaps Conley, but certainly Obafemi should be in the squad on form. Like, so it's, it's well, both of them should be in the squad. Yeah, form, our striker options also. on paper are not that bad. Like they're not as bad as they actually look. But is it the right thing to do from Stephen Kenny when Obafemi? I don't think it is. Well, why? Oh, so sorry, I agree with Stephen Kenny. I, I'm like, well, if you're not turned off the twenty ones, like, yeah, and if and listen, if he is maybe, carrying maybe he injuries, does have that injury, and issue, maybe, like. and likewise with Aaron Connolly, like there've been question marks about his attitude, um, both at club level at international level, like. Get your head together, get mm. yourself right, and show that you need to be there. Uh, and the same with Michael Obafemi. And it'd be brilliant if, in a year's time, both of them have sorted out all of that and want to come in and want to be a part of the squad and accept that you're not always going to be first choice and work your way in. Because, again, much like, as we say, Jamie McGrath suddenly dropping down, like neither of these players can expect to come in now and just suddenly be first choice. Like, Adam Ida is ahead of them. Like, Will Keane is probably ahead of them. Mm. So, and looking at their two personalities and what we've seen and heard from them so far, are they going to be able to cope with that? I don't know. I see you as a coach now rather than a journalist, Nathan. You just, you just changed the mic. Yeah. Show, Show me your badges. Show me your badges, yeah. I can give you shame. badges. It's a terrible shame. Uh, Terry's been in touch to say, I live in Belgium. Friends here expecting an easy 3 or 4 nil win. They expect the same Ireland as in 2016. I give them a nice knowing wink saying, we will surprise you. This is a different Ireland. And also, God, all we need is them to say they play a very British style of football. And also, James has been in touch to say, I remember the triathlon banter well from a few years ago. Owen was a disgrace. <laughs> yes, I was, James. And uh, I don't plan on changing that anytime soon. Uh, quick spirit. tweet here from Phil. Uh, today's OTBA will be presented by three actors to protect the identity <laughs> of the real presenters. <laughs> the lights are back. Nathan Murphy is leaving us. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, gentlemen. We are chatting GEA with Carol Kane next. OTB AM. You're welcome back. It is a quarter past eight. We are turning our attention uh, to Gaelic Games because there's a couple of interesting things we want to get stuck into when it comes to the GPA uh, situation at the moment. We want to chat through at the picture in Ulster. But we want to start with some of the big scorers, some of the big sharpshooters in this year's National League. Delighted to welcome Cahar O'Kane of the Irish News to the show. Cahar, good morning to you. Morning, Owen. How are you? Yeah, very well. So you've written a, a really good piece about David Clifford, but I actually want to start with, with somebody else here. Uh, in the Independent today, Conor McKeown has kind of collated the race for, for the Golden Boot uh, in the Allianz League, and the long story short is that the race is over. Sam Mulroy is, uh, is top of the standings here. His percentage is absolutely a ridiculous. 59% of loud scoring total in the league so far. He's top. Keith Byrne of Leitrim is in second, and Sean Quigley of Fermanagh is in, in third. So Sam Mulroy's got 344 so far Byrne has got 142 and Sean Quigley has got 429 is it just me or, or are we starting to appreciate these non-Division 1 performances a little bit more that we're slowly edging ourselves towards a, a world in which statistics are more appreciated in Gaelic games and, and we're starting to see these standout performers just that tad more Possibly are, yeah. Um, it, it certainly does the like of Samurai no harm um, as, as profile has sort of skyrocketed over the last over the last few months, I actually remember the first time I saw him in, in the flesh against Down up in Uri about four years ago on the last day of the season and thought, there's definitely something about this man. Um, but you sort of didn't hear that much about him in between times. Um, he's getting his profile now. It's partly probably, you know, the style of the game at the minute as well and that forwards are getting that wee bit more freedom again. There's a wee bit more kicking, there's a wee bit more expansive football and it's, and it's leading maybe to 
the sort of the talismanic forwards that, that we made it once known um, that that maybe it got shut down for a few years as well. That's not doing any harm, but but that you know you have to give those fellas credit. You mentioned Sean Quigley there as well. You know, I watched Sean Quigley against uh, Leash two three weeks ago, like and just an absolutely majestic performance from Sean Quigley. Like he's he's in the shape of his life. He's in the form of his life. I think. I think he is second top scorer in the country from play um, at the minute behind Clifford, which is, you know, it tells you a lot because I suppose Sean would have been renowned as a really, really good free taker and, and teams mightn't have felt he got that much from play a lot of the time, but he, he's probably bucked that trend a wee bit for himself. And, it's, you know, to have a list where, where Samuel Roy, Keith Byrne and Sean Quigley are at the top of it is, is great for, for that level of football. People will... People will write it off and say, "Well, look, they're playing against Division Three defenses or Division Two defenses, but but they're playing in Division Two and Division Three teams and Division Four and, and Keith Burns case. So, you know, you, you have to give them the utmost credit for it. Absolutely. Uh, quickly, obviously, should have one more point as well, which is the mm. the statistic there. <laughs> um, it just uh, very quickly before we move on to Clifford, you've obviously seen Mulroy play. I haven't seen him play in the flesh at all. My entire diet of Sam Mulroy's very short clips at the, at the end of the Sunday night highlights and just seeing the scores so so what sort of player is he when, when he's not kicking points where, where, where is his best position well well, yeah he's very much an inside forward looking at him um, I remember I remember being struck by how good a ball winner he was that day um, and uh, you know that's I say that's come back must be four or five years now so that that really stood out that day I suppose Lloyd played some lovely football that day and beat, beat down a big shock up in Uri and Mulroy stood out a mile, um, but he's just he's just a pure finisher. Um, obviously, he's worked very hard on it, uh, and the, the tallies that he's racking up are, are by any standards ridiculous. Mm. Hitting hitting one eight, one nine, one ten in, in games, like and a lot of it from play. And yeah, I know like opposition teams are are just having absolute nightmares about him. Like on better teams, you know, if he was playing up the grades, better teams would be having nightmares about him too because he, he's obviously well capable um, and obviously uh, a huge sway that that has, has come from dead balls this year 35 frees 445s kind of a, a Killian O'Connor-esque tint to those statistics the opposite then uh, is is what we say about David Clifford right that the, the, we've obviously marvelled at, at some of the stuff that he's shown already in his career but it is his statistical brilliance when you consider that he's not the main free taker for his county I think that's a big part of it for for David Clifford as to whether he whether he goes on to break scoring records or not, um, which he might not do because he's not regard you know barring anything, you know really really left sided. Um, Sean O'Shea tends to kick most of them, so it it takes that away from him. Um, and you're comparing him to the likes of of Killian O'Connor, who was you know seventy percent freeze and thirty percent from play, and when you look at when you look at David Clifford, it's exactly the opposite. It's thirty percent freeze and, and seventy seventy percent from from play in across his whole career. Career, he actually breaking down in the championship. He's down to twenty five percent from freeze, seventy five percent from play, and you know six seventy seven in championship football. He's he's just hitting above Gucci's average um, at the minute. He's about four and a half points a game. Gucci was four point one through his career, so you know he's on he's on course. I say to to be, but it's it's not just about numbers. I think that's the great thing about the, about Clifford. It's you know the, the great saying of you know it's not what you said. It's it's how you made somebody feel. And 
sometimes it's not what David Clifford scores; it's it's what he makes you feel when he when he plays football. Like, and, and he's just, yeah, I suppose it's the fact that his demeanour on the pitch and he plays with a smile. And I suppose it highlighted, you know, even the 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 couple of maybe rubbish goals that he has scored in the league this year, um, fluke goals. Like, and he's still still quite happy to celebrate them and a big smile on his face and. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be pointing at uh, at Paul Ganey and who do you mark on the kick out. Like, you know, it's there, there is a freedom to watching him. There's a, a, an absolute genius within him. Um, I remember, you know, everybody remembers the All Ireland minor final um, where he where he scored four four, but always stuck out for for me the pass for Faker Clifford's goal, um, Gary's third goal, like where he just, you know, he threaded the needle stuff that. You just probably don't see at minor level. He was waiting and waiting, waiting for the run, and he knew he could see the run before Faker Clifford could see the run. Um, and he was just waiting for it to be made, and the pass was perfect. And you know, you just knew, you just really knew that day you had, you had something special on your hands. Just for a defender, it must be a really interesting challenge. Like the top defenders in the game, when like it is a, at times, it must feel like an absolute. Um, hiding to nothing when and I imagine like if if you're into sledging it just wouldn't have any wash on him at all like I, I don't think it would I saw um, I saw a few quotes from from Fally McMahon there sort of saying that he would have liked the challenge of of Mark and Clifford because he was tall and he felt you know if you get in really close to a, to a tall player and maybe maybe nobody has done that though I would say in the in the draw All-Ireland final Johnny Cooper got got close to him and got too close to him um, and Clifford probably the reason Cooper ended up sent off was was Clifford was able to roll him and spin mm-hmm. off him um, which made you know I, I suppose that that laid the marker in terms of what do you do with this fella then how do you mark him because he's big but he's quick um, he's, he's deadly off both feet he can shoot without a look he can shoot without a glance like and I mean you look at like Ronan McNamee was the all-star fullback and McNamee won a few balls off him in the All Ireland semi final last year, but Clifford still took him for eight points, four from play, like and and that was you know he didn't get extra time in that game, so he's just he's just majestic to watch for a defender coming in to mark him. Like literally, it's how it's how do you mark him? Like because you probably you probably need or want cover in front of you, but then that's you know. I don't think that would trouble Kerry at the minute. I think Kerry, if, if somebody put cover in front of Clifford, there'd be enough elsewhere that if teams are altering themselves to go and, and deal with David Clifford, I think Kerry would have enough elsewhere to to sort of take advantage of that of that drop forward, if you like. So he's creating not just you know not just the quandary of him because if he goes and stands in the corner flag, teams are still going to be wary of him. Still <laughs> going to send a man with him, like so. You know he he can. If he chooses to be unselfish, if he if he feels that, you know, the the best thing for me is to step out of the way here and create a big gap down the middle, then he'll he'll do that, and that that's that's the really tricky part for for teams against Kerry at the moment. I, I, I get I guess like if you're marking David Clifford, you've won the battle with him. If Kerry have lost the game, basically, like because is that it really? Because like uh, as you say, Tyrone actually didn't do badly against him. Uh, it's it's hard, I suppose, like. They didn't do b- badly, but it, I think most people would feel that, that Clifford Clifford won the battle against McNamee and, and had Clifford stayed on for extra time, mm. you know, that, that, that Kerry would, would maybe have won the game because it was a it was a massive loss. As to be fair, I thought not having Dermot O'Connor and, and Dara Moynihan fit from the start that day were 
were, were, were properly fit um, were, were big uh, big bonuses for Toronto if you like that afternoon as well but um, if you stop Clifford you stop Kerry it's, it's maybe not that simple and obviously we're seeing I suppose Paddy Talley is getting a lot of credit for it at the minute and, and maybe rightly so in terms of their defensive shape and, and how they're set up and the fact that, that if we can see to that one goal in the in the National League and I suppose that's where you know we're we're talking a lot about Clifford and he's and he's brilliant but I think Kerry Kerry is a team maybe happy enough people talking about Clifford because it takes a focus off what they're doing at the other end and how they're doing it it's interesting as well the knock-on impact that having a player like that has on your team selection elsewhere in the forwards so they obviously have like two generational talents in the forwards when it comes to, to, to scoring forwards at least the question I've often had then is do you compound that on an opposition backline and say, well, if your third best forward is, is Paul Ganey and your fourth best forward is Killian Spillane, then all of a sudden your fourth worst marker is on Killian Spillane and that's a very, very tough tough day at the office? Or do you actually say, well, listen, we've got to make sure that a good swathe of our forwards are actually just water carriers to help our defence because don't worry about the lads up front, we have two or three scorers and that's all we need. It feels that that sometimes has been a balance for Kerry over the last little while and they've definitely learned, leaned towards having a few more water carriers in, in, in the, that half forward line in particular recently they, pr- they probably did under under Peter Keane to be fair they probably always I mean I've always liked Armoyne in a 10 for them I think he's, he, he sort of he nearly fulfills both a wee bit he can he can absolutely take a score but he but he'll work like a dog too and and he he has been the perfect number 10 for them for, for me over the last wee while but have have they always got a right kind of supplementing the defence probably not um they probably got it right to a point in the in the draw and all Ireland final against Dublin. But you go back and look at that day, like Kerry Kerry didn't play like Kerry that afternoon. Um they, it was very, very you know, if it had been Tyrone, if they'd been wearing Tyrone jerseys, we'd have been talking about how defensive they were. Um it was everybody behind the ball. I can remember I think it was the last score of the first half, Paul Ganey took like an I mean, he picked the ball up inside his own half and he was by far the furthest man forward. Um <laughs> And Dublin were retreating, and they ended up backed off so far that Ganey was able to kick the score himself. Um, but but it was very much a counter punching strategy in that big game. Um, they haven't always gone for that. Uh, they didn't go for it against Tyrone last year. I don't I don't see them going for it under Jack O'Connor the same way. I think it's going to be a more a more front foot approach. That's what we're, that's what we're seeing. But they're also they're also probably getting things right. And one of the biggest things for me is that. You know, Jason Foley's getting a fair bit of credit at the moment, and rightly so. And it feels like they've gone in there, and, and you know, everybody talked about no defenders and, and no natural man markers in Kerry. And they, it looks like Jason Foley has just been given a, a a gallon of confidence. Just you know, you're a man marker. You are the man that's going to mark the opposition forward. Go and do it. And and obviously the help of Ty Morley in front of him is is making things a wee bit easier. But mm. You know, it just looks like they've been given the the confidence and assurance in their own abilities in defence as well to to maybe be better than they were talked down to be. Yeah, Foley's been sensational so far this year. Uh, just one more thing before we let you go, Cahar. We won't have time for the, the GPA chat today, but you were at home beg, I think, at the weekend watching Galway against Derry. Just a, qu- a quick one on Derry. I mean, obviously early season form was, was very interesting given they came so close to beating Donegal last summer and I felt we were all talking these guys up as, you know, bound to be in Division 1 next year, bound to challenge uh, for the Ulster title this year. Has that dimmed somewhat over the last little while? Now, now I know McWigan was missing at the weekend. I would say Sunday probably dimmed it a, a bit all right in that 
you know, Galway, Galway were brilliant. You know, Galway were brilliant on on Sunday. Their first half was absolutely out of the top drawer, and and that has to be taken into reckoning. It's it's probably the first time under Gallagher in the league that Derry have faced a real proper Division One team and going in full tilt like. And that was, I suppose, that was the big challenge that they failed. Um, as Rory Gallagher said himself, like after the game, we we, we failed it badly, but. The Shane McGuigan absence, in terms of maybe not getting into Division 1, you know, it's fairly significant. I don't think the way the game went against Galway, I don't think his presence would have had any meaningful impact on the scoreline. You know, Derry were flat. Maybe there was a wee bit in their heads um, that that they mightn't be able to beat this Galway team without him. But but I still don't think... It, the big impact was in the Ross Common game itself and the fact that he was sent off and, and wasn't there then to take what would have been the match winning free. Um, which would have left promotion in their hands this weekend, as opposed to being in Ross Common's hands. Now, if you know, it looks like from chatting to Park Joyce after the game, certainly the, the vibe that I got from him was, look, you know, we we have a few injuries. We have, you know, we have uh, Paul Conroy suspended. Shane Walsh getting a back injury. Damien Comer's done the hamstring. You know. We'll we'll do what suits us, uh, kind of thing, and, and rightly so. Nobody could blame them because with the National League final now fired in, uh, they would have been running six weeks straight. So and and then end the championship. So I would expect Galway to rest players this weekend. That puts it in Ross Common's hands, big time. And suppose then it doesn't matter what they're doing now, and if Ross Common win uh, against Galway, so they're not a million miles away. But you know, around team nine, ten, eleven in the country is is probably where they're at at the minute. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Cahar, good stuff. Thanks many for joining us this morning. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Cahar O'Kane there on the line. You can check out his work in the Irish News. That piece on David Clifford is where you will get that. Right. Get ready to cheer Ireland on in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. To launch this year's campaign, we are giving away two tickets to see Ireland take on Wales this Saturday at 4.45 at the RDS. They're playing Wales. The lucky winners uh, will also be entered into a draw to be in with a chance to win an overnight stay in the stunning Intercontinental Hotel on the night of the game to enter this competition. Tell us what you think the score will be this weekend between Ireland and Wales. Wherever you're watching this morning's OTBAM, just comment on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. International Women's Rugby is at the RDS and there's nothing like it. Be part of the action. You can get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. Right, at 8.31 on this Wednesday morning, delighted to welcome Stephen Kisby-Green to studio. Stephen, how are you getting on? So uh, after the first couple of weeks of this year's campaign, we did our Six Nations team of the tournament. We're revisiting it now. What is it? Three weeks later. Uh, Just remind us, first of all, of the the criteria on which you're picking this 15. Uh, You're on mute there, I think. Uh, If you just give that a little click the other way. Uh, Is is he back? Am I back? He's not back. We'll uh, give uh, we'll give Stephen a, a second there to, to try and sort that. Um, but a couple of comments, actually, before we get into that. A couple of funny ones. Um, actually, no, there's not a funny comments here, actually. It's, oh, so it's just some serious football uh, chat here. Pat has been in touch to say, is it worrying that Jason Knight has been benched by Derby in the last few weeks? From what I understand, Pat, it's not much of a worry that uh, he's finding his way back to full fitness, by all accounts, and uh, he's absolutely loved by the club and um, he's a starter when, it, when all is well and good but I've I, I definitely noticed that as well that he hadn't been starting a little while um, and then there's also a comment in here from uh, Didrona VT900 standards are a cliche to be honest Big Four in Italy are worse than 10 years ago not the rest of the league Udinese in particular I wonder how many watch regularly Italian football apart from the big matches yeah that's fair enough yeah um, 
I, I don't I, I, I know that like interest levels are not what they really were in Italy itself either um, and I know like it's certainly the, the top four teams are miles off um, relative to the, the English game which has become like so big but um, yeah that's a fair point Yeah, I, I haven't been to a game in Italy I used to love going I haven't been in a few years Stephen can we hear your dulcet tones uh, unfortunately I think you can yeah oh, we're all go. good we're yeah, all good so how are you picking this team so a couple of weeks ago I said that I want to try and get a, sing- uh, a player from each team in, well, in into the starting 15 uh, th- that's now done away with because I just couldn't bring myself to put any of the any of the English in <laughs> in the 15 or even or even in the replacements bench um, and also there's a couple of uh, Italians that are fighting their way into the in, in, if, if not the starting 15 at least on the, on the replacements bench um, then they needed to play. Uh, last time I said they needed to play a minimum of eight, of seventy minutes over the first two rounds because obviously two rounds you can't really have too much more than seventy minutes. Um, but now I've, I've changed that. So they need, needed to have played at least three games in some capacity. Whether they start or started or came off the bench doesn't really matter, as long as they were involved in three games out of the five. And then I could also, um, because it's my team, I could move players around if I didn't feel like they were in their best position. Or at least how I would want to play them by their coach. So, for example, if you've got a an outside centre playing inside centre, I would be happy enough, provided that they've done so beforehand. So, you couldn't take Tyke for long and put him to fly off, even though I really, really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> you are still taking up the rules of rugby union and uh, completely ripping them up, as we'll discover in the back row once again this time. Do you want to take us through your front five first of all? So last time I got a bit of uh, slack from people on, online that I didn't have too many uh, French uh, forwards in, in, in the squad, uh, mainly because after the first two rounds they were looking very one-dimensional, um, which they were. I, again, I was just on the two rounds, not so much the, the history. They were looking very one-dimensional. So I'll start off with um, the changes that I've made. I've got uh, Cyril by Julian Marchand and uh, Winnie Antonio as my, as my front row, the, the Grand Slam front row. Then I've put in Paul Willemser and Tyg Byrne as as the second row. The, the obvious question I have here is that that France front row. If, if you, you can put on your South Africa hat here, no problem. Are you, are you looking at them cowering in fear, or are you saying to yourself, "Listen, no one in the Six Nations worries us"? Uh, well, as, as a South African, uh, it's difficult to to be overly concerned about any front rows coming up against South African front rows because we have the two best front rows in the world uh, in, in our starting front row and our, and our, and our bench front row. However, this, um, this French side is terrifying purely because they have a combination of exciting backline and that front row. And that front row it does, does worry me a little bit as a, as, as a neutral. Um, Winnie Antonio is probably the most... Uh, Athletic 145 kilogram player you will ever meet in your in your entire life, and um, the the way that 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 front row scrums is it's pure and utter perfection. Like their technique is not just pure pure domination and physicality. There's also a um, the way that they, they how tight they are um, together, and the way that they. Manipulates the opposition scrum. The, you just have to look back at what they did to Tyg Furlong, and uh, if I remember correctly, Porter was in that game against France. Mm. Um, that was the start of why Tyg Furlong is not in my in, in, in my starting front row anymore. Because you can look you can look at England and the whether or not Ellis Genge was scrumming illegally. We've we've spoken about that on the show before. 
um, the, the cracks in Furlong's scrummaging game were seen a week earlier against or two weeks earlier against France. That's true. There, I think that the whole kind of talk about the, um, the refereeing only came up after the England game, whereas after France, it was like they're quite a bit better than us aren't they so uh, that's fair enough uh, just one quick sidebar uh, on this and I know we're going to get to the backs in a sec so you're saying that South Africa have the two best front rows in the world how many South African backs would get into the French back line Oof. Um, I would probably argue three okay with Chesden Colby Lucanio Arm and uh, actually, maybe just maybe just the two of them. Just the two of them. My okay. my pimpy would be a good would would be diffi- It would be difficult to throw in my pimpy in place of um, Villiers or Peno, but he would be fighting his way in. Um, but that French backline is terrifying. Yeah, I can't. I, I, I presume it's going to be a matchup that we we will see at the the World Cup next year. It's going to be really really interesting. Um, the back row. Then this is if you didn't see Stephen's first team, he picks two sevens. That's that's the way that's the way we roll in this team. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm uh, technically I've got four uh, four in my back row because uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't split uh, Hamish Watson and Rory Dodge. They're basically the same person, and um, they actually I've got a bit of a Scottish Scottish bias apparently by the looks of things. Um, no, th- when they play on the same team, they remind me of Michael Hooper and David Pocock when they were playing together for Australia. If the ball goes down anywhere near them, um, it's a tur- basically it's a turnover to to Scotland. Uh, then I've got Josh van der Fleer as my seven. Obviously, we can't get we can't get around Josh van der Fleer. He's been one of the best things in a green jersey for, the, for uh, this year. The only the, the only thing better than him has been Tyke Byrne. And then and then even though in the last two rounds. Um, Aldred couldn't catch COVID if he if, if he wanted to. I, I still I'm, I still think he's the best eighth man in the world, and yes, that includes Dwayne Vermeulen. I think um, Gregory Aldred is probably is without doubt the most physical, most dominant um, eighth man, at least in, in the Six Nations, and will give will give a, a, a Dwayne Vermeulen or a Kier, uh, well no not not Kieran because he's retired now, but um, wh- whoever runs out at eight uh, for for the All Blacks this, this year. Aldrich would, would would put up a good fight against them. So um, that's my back, my my my, my back row. Uh, I've, my, the only Welshman um, that I could fit into the into the tight into the forward pack were on the bench uh, with Adam Beard uh, getting replaced by Paul Willemser uh, purely because um, Wales Wales pulled in pulled in Italy over the past two weeks, mm. um, and then uh, Talupe Felatau has been one of the Surprise packages for Wales coming back and just looking like he's never missed a, missed a second in, in, in a red jersey. So those those are my uh, my my Welsh contingent. Give us your halfbacks then. Um, no surprises really. Anton Dupont, World Player of the Year, uh, best number nine in the world. Um, cannot cannot fault him. Um, one thing that I would be interested to see is how he plays up against a or plays with a pack that's going backwards because obviously the French pack never goes backwards. Um, we've seen it every now and then in the top 14 where he, he, um, he hasn't been the most yeah, obviously with the, the way that the French the French top 14 works um, you, you, you're not always going to be moving forward as, uh, but that's a different level to international mm-hmm. so it'd be interesting to see how he goes against the, uh, against say the New Zealand or South Africa where they can put the, the, the pack backwards and then um, Romain Intermac uh, of course been the form fly half in uh, Six Nations this year. 
Uh, he's played the most rugby, and he's also just been phenomenal. Uh, I, I know I've said that we're not looking at any form before the Six Nations, but anyone that can receive a ball in your own dead ball line against New Zealand and have not only the cojones to run it out of your own dead ball line, but successfully do it and make 60 metres, deserve to be in any starting lineup. That's for sure. So, uh, no Sexton or Smith here. What's what, like Not that anybody expected them to be here ahead of... Uh, sorry, I should say that, that Bigger and Garbisi are your replacements. Sorry, so I mean, no Sexton or Smith on the bench ahead of those guys so give us your thought process there well so, so as, as I mentioned earlier the, the, Italy um, if, if I was picking this team this time next year Paolo Garbisi would be one of the three potential Italians that would be starting um, he's been phenomenal and he was a, a large part of the reason why Italy actually got their first um, win in seven years against Wales and then uh, apart from that Italian performance uh, the performance against Italy Dan Bigger has been uh, brilliant at controlling the game and his tactical kicking has been second to none and th- the only person better than him under the high ball is Hugo Keenan um, Marcus Smith has been a he's had a good Six Nations and the number of player of the matches that he's won would suggest that he should be in this team however I don't believe he deserved half of the um, player of the matches that he got not because he didn't des- not because he wasn't uh, playing well in those matches but I think he wasn't the best English person on the pitch at the, in, in those matches so, for example Mario Toje deserved at least one of them that, that uh, Marcus Smith got um, so Again, like like Garbisi, if I'm picking it next year, it'll be a fi- it'll be a fight between Smith and Garbisi. Smith isn't the complete package yet; he's still still developing his role as the leading that that English backline. So it could be a, a little bit longer before we see him in a team of the tournament. Um, and Johnny Sexton, uh, you, I'm probably gonna I probably should not uh, walk on the streets of Dublin after I say this today. Um, I don't see Ireland winning a World Cup with Johnny Sexton at ten anymore. Uh, he's uh, he doesn't play enough rugby, um, and you, obviously we need to manage his minutes. We need because he's he's going to be thirty eight in in the next World Cup. But when he, I mean he, he, when he has played, he's been play, He's played really well. It's typ- uh, typical Johnny Sexton, mm. but um, it's difficult to see him playing consistently for the entire group stages, then on to the quarterfinals, and then into the semifinals if, if Ireland finally breaks the semifinals. Big is a, the t- a bigger thing is that for Farad, where it's like, well, we need to look, think of the future here. We need to make that move. Like Yes, and with, with, with the likes of a Joey Carby, if you can't back him to, to beat France, then you can't back him to get you to a quarterfinal. Mm. You, you need Sexton needs to start. Somebody needs to obviously get the to take the jersey off Sexton, but Sexton also won't be the one holding on to the jersey, in my opinion, to get to, to get Ireland to to a final. And, and also as well, when you talk about that, yeah, the, the schedule as well. Um, I know we're getting to the minutia here. Is uh, the, the last two games of the pool for Ireland are South Africa, then Scotland, and then a quarter final, all going well. Now the thing is, they have changed the format of the Rugby World Cup, where there is a week off in between South Africa and Scotland, so he could play both of those. But then it's Scotland and potentially a quarter-final. Like, is that your point, essentially, that it's just how robust he's going to be, that, that you can't see him playing all those games? Or have you actually seen a dip from Sexton that gives you cause for concern as well? 
I, I haven't seen any dip at all, but the problem is, is I've seen that he's played almost no rugby this year. It, you, you can count on one hand how many matches he's played for Leinster, and even in the Six Nations, he didn't play. Uh, we didn't. There, there was gaps, and he didn't didn't start every match. So he's not getting the consistent game time that you want him to get. And remember that in a World Cup, you're going to have the likes of. Hamish Watson and Rory Dodge gunning for him every 10 seconds. You're going to have, against South Africa, Quaker Smith is going to be going for him, Peter Steff toy. You're going to have so much attention on the 10, and the way that Sexton plays is he, he attacks the gain line so well that he puts himself in the position to get absolutely hammered. And against the best teams in the world, when he gets hammered again and again, week in, for, the, for six weeks in a row... It's going to take his toll on 38 years old, and he's going to need to take breaks. And if you don't have an actual, a, a fly-off that can take those hits week in, week out at 25, 26 years old, it, I, I struggle to see how Sexton will be fit enough at the end, come the end of the tournament to actually win and, and lift the, the Webellis trophy. Yeah, I think there's a, a real real case to be made that, that Carberry should be starting at least one of these tests this summer in New Zealand to try and remedy that. I think you should start all three personally. Yeah, um, interesting. Uh, take us through the, the back line then, uh, the rest of the backs uh, from uh, 11 to 15. So, Mac Hansen keeps his place. Um, I don't know why he was dropped for, for England at all, to be honest with you. I think he's been, um, a, 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 he's been a great, uh, great find this year. And he's been a, it, it, it's not just the work he does on the ball, but it's the work he does off of it as well. He's always looking for, um, uh, he's looking to be involved, not only on attack, but, all, but on defence. And the way that he gets involved in the... Um, dummy running and sort of drawing drawing phases away from uh, the actual attack. Again, I've got a bit of a, a Scottish uh, lens here because I, I think Chris Harris has had a fantastic Six Nations myself. He's um, he's got a reputation for his defence and his ability to um, to stop stop a, a, a an attack coming on uh, coming over the gain line. But he, I think this this year he's also um, developed that bit of attacking flair into his game. We all we can remember that um, if it weren't for a slightly suspect pass, granted the movement was started by Duane van der Merwe, um, Chris Harris did a, a huge amount of work to to break free against uh, with France, and then the suspect pass to Stuart Hogg went, didn't didn't go to hand. Um, I think he's done again. It's his work rate off the ball as well. He he rucks well. He's involved in the turnover game, and he's been really good for for Scotland. Um, the reason why there's no Frenchman in the in the inside centre as well is because they haven't figured out exactly who their centre is with Jonathan Dante or um, Morfina. Mm-hmm. So because um, the Galtier hasn't uh, nailed on his twelve, I haven't nailed on his twelve either. Okay. Um, but Gail Fiku uh, maintains his, th- his outside centre spot. He's been phenomenal, as, as they all have. But um, what's particularly impressive is the way that an inside centre by nature defends the 13 channel with an 80, 87% success rate. No, it, like the, that 13, the, the, Brian O'Driscoll will tell you that 13 channel is probably, probably one of the most difficult to defend. And um, moving from 12 to 13. And make and keeping those the, the, that sort of percentages against the likes of a Gary Ringrose or uh, wh- whoever England sets out and um, Chris Harris etc cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a 
there's a skill level there that is just next level. He's also very physical and he's got that speed. Um, again, Gavin Villiers is, is, is stays in uh, with the n- notable replacement of uh, De- Damien Penau. It's difficult to to separate any of the uh, French the, the French wings. If I if it weren't for Mac Hansen, I'd start Penau and, and Villiers together on the wings, and um, they'd try scoring machines. Granted, they do have the the luxury of, of playing outside Anton Dupont, which um, is any, any wing would love. But um, he's been he's been fantastic. And then Hugo Keenan, the most consistent man in Irish rugby. Uh, I don't I don't think uh, he's dropped a ball all season. And um, it's diffi- yeah, it's it, it was difficult to we we, we had this discussion about uh, Rob Carney, who's going to replace him. I don't think there's been much of a drop off at all. And in fact, I think Hugo Keenan adds a bit of uh, attack, a counter-attacking flair and a bit of a sort an attacking nature to him that Carney never had. So he's actually looking a little bit more exciting. And probably, if he stays fit and unless somebody can take it off of him, like uh, Michael Lowry. I think he might actually have a better career than, than Rob Connie. Right. He is amazing, in fairness. That is high praise, though, for Hugo Keenan. Um, good reaction. Uh, Adrian on YouTube says, first time I've ever heard Irish rugby analysed rationally on Irish radio. While Dave says, but Ireland has the best front row in the world. The overhyper told me so. Name names, Dave. Certainly not know anybody on this show. Definitely not. Richard Redball says, this excellent problem is waiting to happen when we went with him as our starting 10 after the last World Cup. Very quickly, Stephen, before we let you go, would South Africa beat this Six Nations team at the tournament? <laughs> it's a difficult question, actually. It depends on uh, the style of play that South Africa bring. Um, I think you as coach are going to get a lot of flack with your position and rejigging if it doesn't happen. Give, well, it, give us an answer here. With, uh, I would say, maybe a three-point in favour of the world champions. Wow, so not only would South Africa destroy the competition if they joined the Six Nations, they would beat the entirety of the rest of the Six Nations. <laughs> says the manager of the team. Together, says <laughs> but, South Africa but, head coach Stephen Kisby-Green. But would, uh, would South Africa beat France at the moment? I don't know. So, t- I mean, so basically, the, we've diluted France with this team of the tournament. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Stephen, good stuff. Thanks a million. Uh, right, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Going to give you another opportunity to win our competition. Get ready to cheer Ireland on in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. To launch this year's campaign, we are giving away two tickets to see them play Wales this Saturday in the RDS at quarter to five. The lucky winners will also be entered into a draw to be in with a chance to win an overnight stay in this stunning intercontinental hotel on the night of the game. To enter this competition, tell us what you think the score will be this weekend between Ireland and Wales. Wherever you're watching this morning's OTBAM, just comment on Twitter, Facebook or YouTube. International Women's Rugby is at the RDS and there's nothing like it. Be part of the action and get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. Right, Alan Quinlan and Eve Briggs weren't alone on the Red 78 pod this week. Munster forwards coach and possibly soon-to-be head coach Graham Roundtree joined them for a chat. Despite things still being up in the air from a staffing point of view, Roundtree's love for the Munster men is as strong and as true as they come. I think, I think everybody, everybody knows my coaching aspirations and what I think of this club. Um, is a process, an ongoing process. <laughs> it's, it's, not the, it's not the quickest process ever, I have to say. But it, it's still ongoing. I, I really can't, I can't tell you any more than that. Sorry. No, it's That's good. That's good. good. Um, can I just ask you, probably the big thing is, is what draws you to this club? I think, you know, you seem to have settled in really, really well um, from both the, you know, any player that I've ever spoke to 
speaks so highly of you and the culture and the environment that you drive. And I just think, you know, how is it that you found yourself in Munster and are you enjoying it? I think since I finished playing, started coaching, uh, I've had a few jobs, not, not loads, worked in different environments, but I've never, I've never had the affinity or the connection to a, a club like I have for, for Munster at the moment. Absolutely. Grounded, grounded, good, grounded people. There's a humility uh, and a passion in, in the community. You can feel it. Um, you know, and I, I'd never, having played against Munster many times, I'd never played at Toman Park. Never. It was either at Leicester or in, in the Millennium, for example. And just when I joined the club three years ago, I went to Toman for the first time. Wow. I mean, it's, that's a cathedral of rugby, that is. What, what a stadium that is. Yeah, really excellent stuff and really great to get Graham Roundtree on the podcast. He is, of course, the Munster Forwards coach. He is speaking with uh, Quinny and Neve on this week's episode of The Red 78. You can catch the full 35-minute chat, including Roundtree's experience of a messy December following the announcement of both Johan van Graan and Stephen Larkham's impending departures, as well as that COVID-filled South African headache. And it's available to watch on the Rugby Channel YouTube page right now or the podcast in all your usual spots by searching for The Red 78. John Duggan, good morning. Owen and Johnny, how are you? Very well. What's going on in the world of sport this morning? Well, the big news, breaking news this morning, Ashley Barty has quit professional tennis at the age of 25. The world number one, 114 weeks at the top of the tree, has decided to drop the mic, hang up the racket, whatever cliche you want to use. Australian Open champion, Wimbledon champion, French Open champion of the past. Feels she's achieved everything she needed to in the game. And she spoke on her own Instagram page. I just know that I'm absolutely, I, I, I am spent. Um, I just know physically I, I have nothing more to give. And that for me is is success. I've given absolutely everything I can um, to, to this beautiful sport of tennis. And I'm really happy with that. And for me, that that is my success. And I, I know that people may not understand it, and that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that um, because I know that for me... Um, Ash Barty, the person, has so many dreams that she wants to chase after um, that don't necessarily involve travelling the world, being away from my family, being away from my home, which is where I've always wanted to be. It's where I've grown up. And I'll, I'll never, ever, ever stop loving tennis. Um, it'll always be a massive part of my life. Um, but now I think it's important that I get to enjoy um, the next phase of my life as, as Ash Barty, the person, not, not Ash Barty, the athlete. Congratulations to her for a, a wonderful career and she's over $20 million in the bank and whatever she does next, we wish her the best. Uh, we have Daryl Lenehan not being replaced at the Republic of Ireland squad so he's going to return to Blackburn with a groin injury so he will not be involved against Belgium at the weekend and that friendly international. The under-19s play England this evening at the Bascot Stadium kick-off at half seven in the uh, European Championship qualifying elite phase. Ireland's under-17s taking on Portugal. The women's under-17s against Slovakia later today. Jack Marley hoping to get a gold medal for Ireland at the boxing under-22 European Championships today. He's involved in Croatia against Italy's Roberto Lizzi. Shane, Larry and Seamus Power in the WGC match play. Larry taking on Harold Varner, the third power, hoping to lock up that spot at Augusta, is up against uh, Sung Jai Im in the first match uh, this evening in Austin. And we also have racing today, lads, at Dundalk on the all-weather from five.
Nice one. It is time for Virtual Insanity and time once more to pay tribute to the reigning Virtual Insanity champion, Michigan native and Puerto Rico Open winner, Ryan Brem. To be honest with you, I, I don't even I don't care one bit about Roy Mack. I don't care one bit about that particular tournament. The the Puerto Rico Open is where things were at at the weekend. We had a 35 year old Michigan player called Ryan Brem uh, shoot the lights out. I would die for Ryan Brem. I would also die for John Duggan, to be honest with you, and, and virtual insanity. I would die for Ryan Brem. Uh, what an absolutely phenomenal uh, moment this was to be uh, a 50 to one shot. Or I think actually 66 to one is what John got him at, and uh, and watch him coast home at the end. An alternate reality where we're having a great time right now. Does virtual insanity just cover over for a dreadful life? In order for the vessel to travel through time, it's got to find a porthole, or in this case, a wormhole. A wormhole. <laughs> I love it a good time. There's definitely. Well, an, sorry, yeah, of course. How could you not be? There's definitely an alternate reality. A wormhole. Uh, where maybe the world is not going to hell. That is trippy stuff, guys. I feel like I'm on the milkshakes in Amsterdam. <laughs> the good times are back. It, it is time to inject some well-needed joy and hope into our lives, John, by giving us pretty pretty bleak golf golf yeah. tips. Uh, well, the WGC match play, you should avoid like the plague. It's a quagmire. It's a lottery. Anybody can have a better day than the other player, even if the players both play very well. I wouldn't go near it, folks. Don't go near the match play. Don't get sucked into it. Don't bet on it. Don't go near it. Uh, so we're going to focus actually on the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship, which is going on in the Dominican Republic. The side tournament to this week's uh, match play starts tomorrow in uh, the Dominican Republic, a 72 par course. Uh, windy it can get, but the conditions not too bad this week. Uh, it starts tomorrow at 10.45 a.m. Irish time. Profit this year, 19.3%. Always bet more never bet more than you can afford always bet responsibly a euro each way will do this is virtual insanity virtual money the headline selection Danny Willis 50 to 1 for 4 each way he's the class act in the field he's the master champion of 2016 he was 8th in this last year on his debut Danny Willis does nothing he comes out he wins he won last October at the Dunhill Lynx he's won the DP World Tour Championship he's won the BMW PGA Championship he's won all the big tournaments when Danny Willis gets a sniff of being in contention he's able to close the deal he's able to close the sale and I wouldn't be too worried about his game at times not being the, the most um, you know brilliant Nick I just think that Danny Willis is able to come out and win and I think Danny Willis at 50 to 1 for 4 each way is overpriced this week in the Corrales Championship the second selection Doc Redman is 35 to 1 for 2 each way all about natural talent and I've seen glimpses from Doc a former US amateur champion that he's in getting into a bit of a groove with his ball striking assault at the players I've seen it recently and don't be afraid that he's lining up here for the first time because I think, once again, he's a class act, a natural talent player in the field. And he was the 54-hole leader in Bermuda last year in a similar types of conditions. Doc Redman, 35-1 to 1 for two each way. The third one is Patrick Rogers. Yet to break his duck on the PJ Tour, but that, I think that is coming. 40-1 to 1 for two each way. Was 11th here a couple of years ago. Has never missed the cut in the Dominican Republic. A big hitter and a smooth putter, Patrick Rogers, 40-1. to 1. Grayson Sig is 50-1 to 1 for two each way. Grayson, once again, Again, playing well, played well about Pebble Beach in the wind, uh, has won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour in the last year. And I think Grayson Sig, as one of the rookies, is an improving rookie. And he played well here last year. He was in the top 10 on his debut, Grayson Sig, at 50 to 1. And the last one, Jared Wolf, 
who's had a great story. He won twice in the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, 125 to 1 for a Euro 50 each way. Jared Wolf uh, won in windy conditions in the Bahamas, plays well in Paspalum Greens, and was in the top 30 last time at Puerto Rico. So he's the outsider at 125 to 1. So Jared Wolf, Grayson Sig, Patrick Rogers, Doc Redman, and the headline tip this week, folks bet responsibly and bet on Danny Willett. John Duggan, great stuff as ever. Thanks a million. That All is right, this lads. week's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Let's have a quick look at the papers this morning here on OTBAM. It's minute past nine, by the way. Mbappe has been more committed than Messi. PSG's identity crisis, that is from last night's football show. And Loud say new deal for Mickey Hart shows commitment to progress. And in fairness, in the National League, he's done a good job over the last couple of years. They're right in the mix and look likely actually to get promoted to Division 2. The OTB lunchtime wrap from yesterday there as well. OTB Sports Breakfast is uh, yesterday's uh, OTB AM pod. And then uh, John Duggan's virtual insanity tips. If you want to reread them, brush up. Give them a look. They're on the homepage there on otbsports.com. The back of the Irish Independent goes with Kenny happy to use English ideas. Ireland manager clarifies old school remark and hails raft of progressive coaches in British game. He's been uh, taken to task uh, over something he said in 2018 that the Irish game is too influenced by England. He said there's no English coaches. The best is Eddie Howe. The rest are old school in the way they think and the way they play. People are institutionalised by the way of thinking and the ideology of the game and I guess that's probably in the aftermath of John Eustace being appointed as a new coach with uh, the Republic of Ireland so he thinks that things have changed at this point he thinks there's a whole new raft of English coaches who've developed and are playing a very progressive way now the back of the Herald goes with that same story I am open to English ideas Kenny insists the back of the London Times has an interesting one we covered this on yesterday's show at the London Times uh, stars turn on deluded and absurd RFU is the headline there of Will Kelleher's piece so some of the big names in the English rugby fraternity are coming out to turn on Eddie Jones Lewis Moody and Lawrence Delalio and Clive Woodward actually the latest names to say that they've been perplexed by how they approached the game at the weekend and also perplexed by the RFU's backing of Eddie Jones back of the Irish Daily Mail is Euros Boost Championships will benefit Irish soccer says Kenny and also Ten Hag has interviewed for Old Trafford job it's an exclusive here they say he's been interviewed for the United job Uh, the 52 year old Ajax coach spoke to United on Monday as the club stepped up its search for a permanent replacement to take over from Ralph Raniak next season United sources last night said a number of candidates are being interviewed from a list that includes Maurizio Pochettino Yulin Lopetegui and Luis Enrique Tuchel is no longer an option so I'm not sure if Ten Hag is the only person to get an interview or if also Pochettino, Lopetegui and Luis Enrique are also getting interviews. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen there, but uh, Ten Hag seems to be the front runner. Joys in Green is the headline in the back of the Irish Daily Star. Kenny supports hosting Euro 2028. The back of the Irish Mirror. Coach Driver. Kenny says Eustace can help steer Ireland in the right direction, despite 2018 comments about the lack of good English coaches. I've got the Guardian here for you as well. The back page is a picture there of Katoto uh, at the double to give PSG crucial edge. They beat uh, Bayern Munich in the Women's Champions League quarter final last night. And then finally for me, the Daily Telegraph. Commonwealth Games will allow trans cyclists to compete. New gender rules open door for former male competitor. Birmingham could be focused for battle 
over women's sport and you got a couple of headlines there yeah as well, just the sun here um, I can make it like Harry and that's uh, from the Troy Parrott interview uh, just speaking about his career and maybe a somewhat optimistic comparison with Harry Kane uh, that's the sun and then the Irish Times uh, Ireland must capitalise on doubt created by New Zealand and that's a piece from Gordon Darcy Um which is uh, in the Sports Wednesday and uh, then there's a couple of chats with uh, Seamus Callanan uh, across the um, across the papers and Sean Moran's piece as well I have saw this mentioned actually grounds for concern regarding possible hosting of 2028 I think there's a, the, the timing of uh, your 2028 would if, if it were right now would clash with a lot of games at Co Park so um, yeah that'll be interesting yeah, it'd be interesting to see as well how many games are actually going to be held at Croke Park as well. But you'd assume mm. there might even be like logistical problems having a game on the same day as a soccer game in the Aviva, for example. Uh, so we'll see how that one goes. Quick comment in here from Adrian who says, Carberry is clearly not rated by Farrell. The number of minutes he got and where he came on nails it. I tend to agree with it uh, because I think that's certainly one of the theories you can come out of Saturday with is that uh, if Carberry was definitely the next guy and definitely ready in the eyes of the Irish coaching staff and would have been brought on a bit earlier and also maybe for Sexton as well so yeah, I guess as Gordon Darcy says they're trying to bring momentum into New Zealand is going to be very interesting Stephen was just saying that he'd start Carberry in all three tests in New Zealand whether or not the Irish management trusts him to do that time will tell uh, ok so the Coy Gig pod on OTB Sports is in, is in association with Cadbury FC official snack partner to the women's national team during this next break you'll hear a taste of this week's brilliant and very open chat with Ireland's Louise Quinn chatting to Karen Duggan and Pearl Slattery have a listen OTB AM Nine minutes past nine you're very welcome back delighted to say that the Bellator cage is set to touch down in Dublin's three arena for the third time in ten months on September 23rd tickets go on sale this Friday on Ticketmaster and it's been confirmed that Irish fighters Sinead Cavanagh and Peter Queeley will be on the card delighted to welcome Sinead to studio for the first time we had you on the line a couple of weeks ago uh, I guess congratulations first of all on, on the win uh, a few weeks ago uh, but the, the first thing we must ask is uh, the knee uh, how is that coming along? It's fun to say uh, thanks for having me lads <laughs> uh, yeah um it was some fight wasn't it yeah. it was the fight of the night we done, we done everything and um the knee is, um, I said to get surgery, so I'm still waiting on the surgery, which I'll be getting pretty soon, literally in the next two weeks. So I just wanted to get, get it done and get the recovery done, started. For anyone who didn't see the fight, what happened? <laughs> I tore my ACL, um, Leah took me down in the first, literally the first minute and um, I tore my ACL. And from then I had to fight with one leg. So, <laughs> so the fight in Irish was was that night, you know. And um, you yeah, played and on like, with the, you basically fought on with the torn ACL. Yeah, fought on. I, even the doctor was like, "That's impressive." So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, only a woman could do it. <laughs> Bloody hell! So um, yeah, so um, yeah, um, fought on with that. And but it was some fight. Like I had her in a Kamara. I'm known for a stand-up fighter. And uh, we had to grapple. I had to grapple then, and uh, yeah, it was it was just it was entertaining. We didn't know where the fight was going, so um, both congratulations to the boat was like you know mm. so we we done well. The two of us done well, aren't we? Hundred percent. When that happens, do you know that you've done your ACL and something pretty serious by by the pain alone? Yeah, there's there's photos where um, I didn't even I just kind of blanked it out like, but there's photos where I'm literally 
like in, in so much pain in the face of me like um, I remember going back to the first round and I said to John my knee is gone like and he was just like you have two don't you <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting on a slap off <laughs> you know and I mean as it turned out you did have two you did manage to actually see this thing out like what I'm curious in here is that did Leah know that you'd done your knee at that point are you are you trying to keep your poker face yeah I was then and then I think the third round she found out that me because I kept uh, it was like Bambi we kept uh, I kept slipping and stuff you know and uh, me knee just kept giving in um, and I just kept a ho- I had to hold on because I'm known for the striker so I would have kept her at distance but I was literally trying to hold on to her to keep to keep me up um, so yeah I think in the third round where it was she was two rounds down it was too late you know so that was that's what happened because I guess when she feels you wanting to go to the floor She's probably thinking, what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. She started kicking me leg and all. <laughs> and I was just like, no, the pain on, the, on my face, you know. Yeah, so it was too late for her. She, she probably won the last round, but I was two rounds up. And that was that was the way that was, you know. Yeah, again, for people who haven't seen it, it goes the distance. That's the thing here. It's uh, it's, it's not like you managed to, to land a blow and, and get the pain over and done it straight away. I, I presume that there's an element of adrenaline here that plays into it that just makes you forget about it a tiny bit for, for a few of those moments that's what it was yeah it was a fight a flight and uh, yeah I just kept fighting you know I just didn't want to give in or I didn't want to lose that fight because I knew if I lost that fight um, I couldn't get where I want to go which is a title again you know so uh, yeah poker face all, all the way is that what you're thinking of in that moment? That you're thinking about the the gains that can be made from victory? Like, are, are you are you able to zoom out in those moments and think, "Geez, this is so so important yeah, to me in my this. life." Yeah, I need this. Like, just keep going, keep keep fighting. You know, so that's what I done. And uh, yes, <laughs> I got the hand raise, and that's what that, this is what these moments are about. Like, it's about you know when you're in a, a tough situation, even in life, like that, you just get on with it like you just you just fight your way and yeah and I done it like what was the pain like afterwards then like did it start kind of kicking in or did it get better or worse yeah no I couldn't walk yeah literally I was in a wheelchair <laughs> so we were going around um, yeah I literally couldn't walk um, yeah it was it was very bad yeah I just so, kept giving in and stuff you know it's still it's still sore now so um, just looking to get that surgery done so what, did the medic say, like, um, well, if you if you hadn't fought on, you would have been better, like, longer term, or did you...? No, it was, it was done anyway, yeah. so... Um, Didn't make that much difference? No. It, it's <laughs> mad when you see footballers who get that injury and it's such a big deal, and they certainly don't play on, like, you know. Jeez, no, it's like, I mean, it's there's like an existential conversation yeah. around their career, almost, it feels, with, with football, um, whereas you're down to fight in September. Yeah, I'm down to fight in September. I just had to get this recovery. Like that's the goal is to fight in September, you know. Um, so once I get the surgery, then I'm gonna know. Uh, but yeah, that's the goal. There's been uh, quite a collection of, of injuries that you've you've taken in the cage at this point. Was it an eye socket against Chris Cyborg? <laughs> yeah, yeah, broken eye socket. <laughs> How does that compare with the ACL? Which is if you had to, to put them up to which was which was the worst experience? The ACL because it's right. like um, I was literally training with the broken eye socket and. In four weeks, like okay, right. You know, I just was telling people not to punch me in the face. <laughs> yeah. mm. But with this, I can't even train. I can't, and uh, I can't go, even go to the gym. Really, I'm hobbling a bit around, and yeah. So 
this is more it's more mentally with the mm. ACL like so that's I give that number one how are you ticking along mentally then is there any techniques you have to, to make it a little bit easier on yourself uh, well I'm going to Venice on Friday so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah that will keep me uh, keep me occupied um, till I get back then to get the surgery Can I ask about the end of the fight uh, against Leah because obviously uh, when we were talking to you beforehand you said that it was it's unique that two people who are so close go uh, toe to toe in the cage uh, what are the exchanges like afterwards uh, what, what do you say to each other um, we gave each other a hug afterwards um, I think she was disappointed she lost you know um, and then and then she texted me to say oh, congratulations and I just said congratulations to us both now I haven't seen her since but um, I, yeah I hope hopefully that we don't have to do that again because uh, it's done now you know mm. You're not not a fan of fighting friends, basically. No, exactly. Like we kind of had to do it because it was we were um, we were on each other's toes on, on the rankings, and you know it's just something that had to do. Like whoever won this was going to go against Chris Cyborg. You know, it just had to had to be done at this moment. But hopefully, it's done now, and we don't have to do it again. Is there a chance that Cyborg is going to be the fight in September? Um. Could be. I'm not. I'm not too sure. I haven't. I haven't uh, got the contract yet. It depends on Mina as well. So who do you want to fight? <laughs> Definitely. Um, wouldn't it be great if Chris came here? Like, yeah. Would it? Like, isn't that just just the moment to have? Like, this whole here. Um, and yeah, it would be some fight, some something for the crowd, something for the Irish crowd. Like, um, as somebody that's not into that, where would that take place then in Ireland? Like, so where would be your main kind of place to get a crowd in Ireland Tree Arena I suppose yeah that's yeah. it yeah Tree Arena haven't lost there so it's mm. <laughs> bring her over <laughs> is the sport growing over here then yeah definitely MMA mm. yeah it's massive it's huge like the crowd is one of the best in the world and um, like the um, some atmosphere like you, that's why Bell Talk keep coming back is mm. because of of we sell we sell the show every time like it's always a sellout and it's it's a talk in the town for, for weeks afterwards like I mean you can picture it if it's yourself versus Cyborg in the main event in the tree arena like it'll be one of the most partisan crowds of all time it'll be and it'll be one of those famous Dublin sports nights yeah definitely be like, and to me to be a part of that is uh, it's, it's mind blowing for myself you know um, that I've got this far like mm. you know and um, that, that it's 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 amazing for me, like, you know. So yeah, be deadly. What What is the the next step for you on a, a technical level and, and and as a as a sports person? Is there specific things that you look back on when you watch that last fight and say, "Listen, I need to work on that between now and September." Um, against Chris Cyborg or against whoever yeah. you may be fighting. We're not we're not confirming um, anything this morning here. Yeah, I learned. I learned. Um, I think you learn more when you lose because um, you were. Uh, it's kind of in your head, like, why why you lost, like, you know? Mm. When you win, it's kind of like, oh, well, i done that and that's great. Like, you don't really think back on it. But when you lose, then it's, you always want to be better. You always want to win. So uh, with Chris, I know what I did wrong. I got too close. I got into a, a brawl where, where I should have played a kill, kept me distance, jab, jabbed her, you know, um, and I just, it just got just that inch to just too close, and that's the broken eyes hockey. I presume it's way easier said than done when you go in with a game plan. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> As what does Mike Tyson say? Everyone's Everyone a has a plan when you get punched until you get punched in the face, and that's exactly the way it goes. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to keep your kill, and um, sometimes you just lose it. She's she changed her sort of style then for the fighter. Would she offer something that you didn't expect? Like if you were to meet her again, oh, she she literally just ran at me, like you know. <laughs> um, but I kind of ex- I, I kind of expected that, like, but. Um, that's where I should have just like backed off where I just I was just like let's go so yeah. you know like uh, so it was just like two bulls you know just going at, at um, yeah so next time I will have a cooler head because I know she has power like I underestimated that power so next time I will um, yeah I have a different game plan mm. She's fighting I think today one month I think it's 23rd of April Yeah right? against Arlene Blanco they already fought and uh, she she submitted her, so that was our first submission in, in many years. Like so, mm. you know, I think like I, I was the only one that gave her uh, a good bra. Like I know it was short, but like I literally I I hit her and I rocked her. You know, I don't, I really think I can, I can do it. <laughs> I really think self belief is always the key. Anyway, <laughs> does but, the ACL knock you back much then in terms of time wise for the prep for the September? Yeah, it does. Um, but I'm literally, I'm an athlete, like so. Uh, like we do miracles, so I, I, I will just get it, get the surgery and straight into recovery, straight into physio, straight into doing, and just just get it right, you know. Mm. Can I ask then, uh, when you, I guess you're still very much on the way up. You still want this massive fight in September. You probably haven't got to the stage of reflecting on the career just yet. But it, but it has been a fascinating career. Like I've seen you speak in the past about your boxing past, for example, and, and how, like, I mean, you, you've kind of experienced firsthand the murky nature of the sport and all that. I presume when you look back on that now, I presume you've got no regrets whatsoever. You're delighted that, that this is the sport that you're in now as opposed to, to sticking with boxing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um I'm glad that I took this path. Like, like I'm glad I've done boxing. Like, I met like some sure. fabulous people, um, some coaches, some t- Tony David, some Fran Lons, like some amazing people that um, that like I still talk to today. You know, um, but yeah, I'm glad that I left. I'm glad that I came to a stage where I just left, went to John. Like, every, it's mad the way I just walked out at the end because I just I really thought that I wasn't going to get anywhere. Um, like to give it up and then I went to MMA and look look where I've, where I landed now fighting in the tree arena I'm fight, fight Chris Cyborg I'm number four in the world like um, so yeah it's it's amazing what like, if you just if you just keep at something that uh, that you thought like uh, to give up or to keep going you know and you just keep going you just keep fighting that that dream and, and it worked out in the end well, I haven't. I'm still not a uh, world title yet. Of course, but I want that. So hopefully, that's hopefully that's uh, next. For, for the average person, what's the difference to make that to make that to make that move like to MMA from boxing? What's the average? Like, like? what's how difficult is it? Like very um, because um, boxing is just one sport. It's just your hands with MMA. It's it's a whole lot of uh, it's a whole lot of sports. Like it's judo, wrestling. Boxing, uh, you Could know, you tell from a boxer like he or she would make good MMA? Like it, de- it depends how much you want to give it into mm. it. Like you know, I I joined M- uh, MMA 
and I was getting literally mauled, like, you know, taken down. And it took me three years to actually get a grasp of jiu-jitsu, like, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, so it just depends how, how hard you work. It's not easy, but um, you can do it. Is it a moment like this and a moment like, I guess, a few weeks ago at the Three Arena that you picture when you do make that change, when you do, I guess, get to grips, pardon the pun, with the, with, with the sport itself? Are you thinking about those big nights in the Three Arena? Was that a motivating factor? Yeah, like I, I dreamt that like, I, I could be there when I was younger and stuff. And, and um, yeah, and I remember John saying, like, when I joined MMA, he was just like, oh, you could be literally a superstar. Like, you know, you have talent. So, um He's looked after me from day one, you know, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's a dream that that can can happen. Was, mm. He obviously saw something. Yeah, definitely he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does he tell yeah. you that, or does he try and keep it to himself a little bit to to make sure that you're not getting too ahead of yourself at that time? No, he he, he said that to um, help me out because I was in disbelief of myself, like, and I, I was I was uh, very hard on myself and and uh, with me past and stuff like that. So um, he just try to keep me motivated which was which what you doing and which kept me going like when you say you were hard on yourself how, how do you mean just just down me so just carried like me past and stuff on, on the weight on my shoulders and stuff you know and um you know he just he tried to give me like something to like keep focused on you know and um yeah he's that's what he said like you know i walked in the gym and he knew that there was that i could do it and there was something special about me you know so when he says to you that uh, you've got two knees, I presume he's pretty hard on you as well, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. As I, said, I was just waiting for him to slap me, like, <laughs> you know. What are his training sessions like? I mean, I, I presume you put through the ringer. Yeah, very good. Um, he's very technical man. Like, um, I just that's why you see in my, my last fight. You know, it was all him that won, won me this fight because I'm usually stand up like. So he's very technical and. Um, He's his his head is just amazing um, for the fight. Like it's all what to do, and um, yeah, he's and then we do. It's very hard. The training sessions are hard. Like mm. you know, and is it like? Are you still practicing the basics day in day out? For example, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a cage walk on the ground. Uh, yeah, every every day, every day, it's. Um, we go over the same kind of same routines and stuff like and uh, that's what makes you good the mm. basics can I ask then when it comes to a night like the last night is that a, a whole different challenge to you knowing that it's a big home crowd That is that a whole other thing to overcome in a way that, that there's that added level of pressure or as soon as you're in the zone on the day of the fight do you just blank that sort of stuff out do you know what? I fought. I haven't fought. I didn't fight in uh, the tree arena for a few years, and um, and I thought that I forgot about like I really enjoyed it this time, like fighting there in tree arena, and if, like cause it hasn't been. A, it's been a while since I haven't fought in, for me in front of people that I know, so I really enjoyed that. But um, yeah, I usually blank the crowd out. I, I walk out there, and it's like a. They're gone. Like every, every t- I, don't, I couldn't tell you who was sitting in front of me, or, or who was there beside the cage, or anything like that. That's all forgotten about. Like, because mm, we were um, 
We were chatting to Sarah Lavender Hurdler uh, yesterday in the show, actually, and she talks about when she's hurdling, she just goes into this constant state of, of flow where she's not thinking about jumping over a hurdle. Uh, she's not thinking about any of the external things. It, it all just kind of happens very quickly. I, I presume it's sort of the same for you, that it, it, the reactions have to be so quick in there. You can't be thinking, right, what do I do here for a sec, considering your opponent's coming at you at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so just like uh, in the gym... Um it's like just in the gym, um, training there, and that's what I like, in my head is just like a training session, you know. But it's more obviously it's more uh, it's it's more physical and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, just try to keep yourself calm and uh, and just just yeah, it's just a gym session, you know. Mm. Absolutely. So we're saying September it may or may not be Chris Cyborg. We can definitely not confirm or deny that this morning. <laughs> no. Well, listen, Sinead, uh, very best of luck with uh, the recovery over uh, the next little while. Uh, enjoy Venice, first of all, and hopefully the, the camp isn't uh, isn't too strenuous over the next few months. That's great. Thanks, lads. Thanks, mate, for joining us in the studio. That's uh, Sinead Kavanagh. As I say, Bellator Cage touching down once again in Dublin's Three Arena uh, for on September 23rd, and you can get tickets actually this Friday on Ticketmaster. And Sinead's going to be fighting there. Peter Queeley's also going to be on the card. Uh, right, so as I say, uh, you can get those on Ticketmaster this week. And Leo Cullen, we're going to t- change our attention to rugby now. He was speaking yesterday and he was paying tribute to Devin Toner, who's retiring at the end of the season. Have a listen. He's just such a unique, isn't he? You know, I was just even next door talking um, around, you know, <laughs> Irish people love coming up to tall people and going, oh my lord, look at this height of you. Whereas, and I find it unbelievably annoying most of my life, but I've actually gone up to Dev the first time I saw him and was like, oh my lord, look at the size of you. Um, uh, like, he's just a different level, like, uh, in terms of size. You know, like, we've seen a lot, we've seen a number of pictures of him even as a kid growing up and, um, you know, like playing for North Kildare and with Castlenock in school and a bit of GA stuff as well, some of the pictures. And like they're like you couldn't like make them up like how much <laughs> how he stands literally head and shoulders above the rest. In some cases, when he's when he's kneeling on the ground, he's still taller than people standing up. So um, you know, so the size bit like <clears throat> and how that influences young people in terms of you know like Irish kids like boys like there's always a bit of self conscious in us, isn't there? Um, so if you're that really tall guy that's standing out from the crowd because quite often like we want to just fit in and you know it's next to impossible for him just to fit into the crowd because he's always going to stand out from everybody else um, and he's he's such a likeable person Dev you know um, I wouldn't I remember seeing him play for the Irish schoolboys first when you know against Wales I remember that was when I first sort of laid eyes on him um, and I'd heard about this guy he was whatever close to seven foot tall um, playing underage in Castle Lock, and then you get to see him, and then they start to say, "Oh well, can this guy? What will he be like in terms of Leinster?" And um, I was away in England when he came through first, so he would have had a Michael Checa screaming in his ear for a few years. Um, and in terms of trying to you know bring that bit of edge to the his second row play, um, and yeah, like so, I would have played a good bit with Dev, and you know, you're, you know, as I'm getting older, trying to help him come through in many ways. You know what I mean? Because you know, when I'm not getting picked for like national teams or whatever else, you're here, sort of, you're trying to help some of the young guys along, um, and it's sort of gone full circle in many ways, and that's what Dev is doing with some of the young guys now. Um, over the last while, when he stopped getting picked in national camps. 
Um, so that's in the important bit, and he's been excellent in that regard, Dev. Um, and yeah, like he's such a popular guy in the dressing room. Um, you know, very easy going bloke off the field. Uh, doesn't get that stressed by things, and um, you know, takes it all in stride. Um, but yeah, no, he's had an amazing career. When you think back to, um, when you think back, okay, he's Leicester's most capped player. Um, so how he's managed himself over the course of his career, you know, is testament to his. You know, I, I guess his easy go nature because you know he's he just trucks on. He trucks on well during the course of a season. Um, you know, between his Leinster and Ireland caps, like it's a fair old haul, and then throw in some of the actual trophies that he's won along the way as well with Ireland and with Leinster. It's an amazing feat, really, when you think back to that kid um, in, on the GA pitches where he's literally head and shoulders above the rest wearing a pair of glasses. Uh, playing so as well some of the images are stuck in my mind so you'd have to see them to believe them um, yeah. Leo Cullen there talking about the retiring Devin Toner at this week's Leinster press conference that is pretty much our lot Johnny thanks a million for popping in this morning no we'll problem. have um, loads more uh, tomorrow on the show as well we're going to be looking ahead to Ireland Belgium talking Six Nations uh, much more as well OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.